department in parliament and also the delegation from Malusi. Chair, I move to adopt the agenda as it is and also note that chair, I'm on the road uh, to the airport. Okay. Any uh, second? I might oh. have some time. No, it's fine. Who is seconding now? Emoroteta or Litia? Suela. Yeah, it's me. Oh, Suela. Suela is fainting. I'm not fainting. I'm there for seconding. Whatever. We have have seconded. We have seconded. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much, honorable members, um, for 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 adopting the agenda. Now, uh, DG Ukona. Ah, uh, my apologies, Chair. I just got a message that uh, the DG will be joining us uh, a bit later, Chair. Because uh, she's, uh, yo, he's finishing up uh, a meeting with AXA. Oh, okay. But he will be joining us, right? Thank you. All right. Now, who is leading the department now from DBE? Do we have somebody? Good morning, Honorable Chairperson, and good morning, uh, everyone on the call. Uh, in the in the call, we've got Dr. Paul. Morning to the members of the portfolio committee. Uh, Rufus Polia here in the absence of the I know why is everybody's uh, network dead? Okay. Uh, thank you. Thank you uh, to both of you, Mr. Mahada and Mr. and, and Dr. Polia. Um, thank you very much. Uh, we probably have to um, welcome Umalusi then and congratulate you uh, for your anniversary. They've just attended 20 years of existence. And um, with that, we recently also had a farewell of um, the chair, uh, Prof. Um, Doc, it's Prof. I forgot now. Prof. Professor Ballard. Prof. No, no, Prof. Ballard. I'm sorry, Prof. Ballard. Prof. Ballard. Ah, okay. Yeah, we just had a farewell of of Prof. Um, Ballard, and um, we are wishing him well as the portfolio committee on basic education. And like we said, uh, on that note, also we are welcoming you, uh, Prof. Ballard. Um. We are welcoming you as an oversight uh, section of the of the of the sector, and at a personal level, I I, I know you. I know that um, when we when Solpright University started, you are the one that have been there, holding the fort, uh, making sure that uh, it functions very well. I know that you sacrificed your family. Uh, in Gauteng, you went um, to the Northern Cape. I was in the province then, and uh, one happened to notice your work, and which we've seen moving. I think now the university is doing very well. Um, 
I think they are now doing the postgrad um qualifications um as well. So um you know I I I know that uh, you will be able to handle um um Omalusi <clears throat> very well um based on your background and also um the type of persona that one has at least managed to get close and and watch at a closer space um coi we don't know what to say our total comments i think all of us here in this committee except for few our certificates were signed by yourself uh you've been part of the furniture you've carried um this umalusi for so so many years with dignity uh, it's umalusi that has made sure it produces quality um for our country it's umalusi with no scandals it's Malusi that made sure that we have certificates and the certificate that we continuously need. Um, you know, whatever that you do, you apply for a job, a certificate that you must first produce. Uh, oh, mine, mine very confidently is signed um, by yourself, uh, um, uh, Doc. Little did I know that uh, I would work and oversight you one day. That's how quick life moves. Um, congratulations. And um, we know that you are a team of uh, um, very committed and um, highly qualified and educated individuals. Um, you are a cream of our country. You have produced many, many people to be also creams of this country. Um we are wishing you well. We want to see many 20 years to come and holding your flag very high um, as the entity, but holding the name of our country very high as well because you produce one of the most um, certificates uh, in this for this country and, and, and in this country. I am now. Can I can I hand over to you, Doctor Polia? Do you have anything to say? Um, good morning, good morning, Chairperson. Uh, good morning to the honourable members. Uh, apologies for our DG who will be joining us shortly, and my apologies as well. I'm I'm driving, but I will be at my destination in the next few minutes. Uh, I think, uh, uh, honourable Chairperson. Uh, you are absolutely correct in terms of your sentiments relating to Malusi. Uh, we, we depend on them for quality and integrity of the flagship program of this country, which is the NSC. And they've certainly done a sterling job over the last 20 years. And these are certainly the sentiments shared by the minister, our deputy minister, our DG and the entire education fraternity. And I think uh, this morning, we are going to once again receive another important report, which will once again attest to the standards, credibility, and the international comparability of uh, our national senior certificate. We live in a uh, global society, and uh, therefore we want to continue 
standards that are internationally comparable, internationally relevant. And uh, Umalusi has done this job extremely well. And this external evaluation of the NSC, comparing our NSC to five other countries, I think is, is a report which will certainly uh, not only attest to what our current standards are, but will also assist us in terms of uh, looking at where we could improve so that we are in keeping with new developments that are taking place internationally so that we could keep abreast in terms of 4IR 21st century skill. So we are all looking forward to this report. And, and thank you, Honorable Chair, together with the members of the Portfolio Committee for your continuous guidance, direction, and support. Uh, thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much, um, um, Dr. Polia. Can I now hand over to you, uh, Prof. Balim? Certainly, Chair, and, and thank you very much. Um, um, firstly, let me acknowledge, say a few acknowledgements uh, to yourself, uh, the Honorable Chairperson of the Portfolio Committee, uh, Ma'am Bingo Gigaba. Uh, thank you also for your very generous comments about Salt Lake University and the work uh, that continues there. Um, and as you acknowledged, um, I'm pleased to once again be working with, uh, for a few years, a fellow citizen in Kimberley. Uh, to the honourable members of the Portfolio Committee, my warm greetings and uh, good morning. Please allow me to start by introducing the Umalusi delegation. Uh, with me to, this morning is, um, uh, firstly, I am uh, Professor Yunus Balam. I'm chairperson of the Umalusi Council. Uh, with me is uh, Dr. Mafu Rakumetsi, who is the CEO of Umalusi. Uh, Mr. Emmanuel Sibanda who is Executive Manager Qualifications and Research at Umalusi, uh, Mezodwa Morimakwane, uh, who is Executive Manager Quality Assurance and Monitoring at Umalusi, and then Mr. Biki Lipota, uh, who is the Senior Manager for Statistical Information and Research. Uh, we're grateful for the opportunity to present the Portfolio Committee to the Portfolio Committee, the research findings of the study that Umalusi has just concluded, titled International Benchmarking of the NSC Against Five Qualifications. This is a particular, a particularly an honor for me um, as chairperson, uh, because this is my first engagement uh, as the chair of Umalusi Council uh, with the por Portfolio Committee on Basic Education. Um, this research report coincides with the 20th anniversary of Omalusi this year, as the chairperson has mentioned. Uh, this was celebrated recently at the CSR on the 6th of September, where about 180 delegates were in, in attendance, including the Minister of Basic Education, Honorable Mashecha, and Honorable Letsia, who represented both this portfolio committee and that of uh, higher education, science, and innovation, and other key education stakeholders who were in attendance. We thank the two portfolio committees for celebrating the event with us. And although we were sorry that the chairperson, uh, Mayor Bingo Gigaba, was not able to join us, 
we were pleased that she attended the earlier farewell event of the outgoing uh, Council of Omanusi. She on the matter in hand today, the General and Further Education and Training Quality Assurance Act, uh, referred commonly referred to as GenFedCo Act nine, uh, 58 of 2001, as amended, assigns to Umalusi the responsibility to conduct and commission research on issues of importance to the development and implementation of its qualifications uh, sub-framework. It is important to Umalusi that the, that research-based evidence underpins the advice that we give to the Minister of Basic Education. It is equally important to Umalusi that we sustain the confidence of all South Africans in the quality and standing of the qualifications that fall within the purview of Umalusi's mandate. Through the be- benchmarking study that we share with the Portfolio Committee today, Umalusi aims to fulfill both its research mandate and its commitment to ensuring that our citizens receive internationally comparable levels of education, in the present case with the National Senior Certificate Qualification. I will now hand over to Dr. Rakometsi to lead the presentation. I thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Balim. Uh, Mr. Reporter, you can fly to the presentation. Honorable Chairperson, Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee on Basic Education, Chairperson of Council, Professor Eunice Balim, uh, Dr. Rufus Polia appearing on behalf of uh, DG Mweli, Colleagues, ladies and gentlemen, um, we, we have welcomed the new council. We had the first council meeting last week. Um, the, the arrival of the new council coincides with the celebrations of the 20th anniversary of Umalusi. We had the, the first council meeting last week, and uh, we're grateful to the minister for the caliber of men and women that she has appointed to serve in the Umalusi Council for the next four years. Chairperson, I want to reassure you that we are in the right hands uh, with Professor Balim and the team of men and women who have been appointed to our, to our council. Let me also thank you, Chairperson, before you get into the presentation, for the kind words uh, about Umalusi and its leadership. We are not going to be complacent. Uh, you know, in my culture, if you get um, accolades uh, whilst you are still alive, you can become big-headed and steer off the course. We are not going to do that. We are going to stay focused and work hard for the people of South Africa. We are going to be presenting <clears throat> the international benchmarking of the NSC against selected qualifications. This presentation is structured in the following manner. We are going to share with the members of the portfolio committee how we have disseminated the report to date. We are going to look briefly at the the organization that was uh, commissioned to do the research activities, what the purpose of the research was, how the questions were framed, the selected qualifications and, and subjects, Qualification and subject aspects are going to be compared and we're going to look at the source materials and we're going to look at the qualifications, context, then we'll go to the research findings and the, and the recommendations. Um, to date, the, the research findings 
and recommendations have been shared with the Umalusi Research Forum and the date is given when that happened. We shared it with the DG of the Department of Basic Education together with the members of the senior management of the department. The DG then advised that we should share the report with the Minister and the Deputy Minister of Basic Education. That was done on the 27th of July. We, we also had the opportunity of presenting to HEDCOM. We, we, we had the opportunity of also presenting to the social cluster on the 30th of August. We are now meeting the Portfolio Committee on Basic Education. Uh, it is on the 13th of September. We're going to present the, the findings and the report to you, and we are grateful for the opportunity. We, we, we still have to see the Council of Education Ministers uh, on a date to be determined. We, we are going to launch the report uh, to all South Africans on the 23rd of September at the CSIR uh, 2022. Now, about the body that was commissioned to do the research, the body that was commissioned to do the research is ACTIS, formerly known as UK NAREC. Um, it undertook the research on our behalf. UK NAREC Recognition Agency function had to change from a NAREC, which is an EU-only title, to a, an ENIC after the UK's departure from the European Union. Now, ACTIS provides official UK national agency services on behalf of the UK government in qualification skills and migration. It is a gold standard provider of solutions and services in international education, training and skills, and in the development and recognition of globally portable qualifications. Our qualification is globally portable. Our, our children are competing in the global village. ACTIS is an internationally trusted and respected reference point for qualifications and skill standards. It works with universities, organizations, and employers. It has access to the world's largest data bank of information about international education. Maybe about the purpose of the research. The purpose of the current study is to understand this ending of the NSC in relation to similar qualifications from five other jurisdictions. This is 12 years after a similar research was conducted by Umar Lucy in 2010 in collaboration with um, Higher Education South Africa, HISA, now known as Yusuf. We partnered with Yusuf in 2010 and we've, we felt now that it is 2022, that research is a bit old, we need to refresh and have a fresh research. The, the framing of questions checked to what degree is the NSC comparable to five selected qualifications in terms of specific dimensions. What differences and similarities are noticeable at the level of subject curriculum? In relation to assessment methods, what similarities and differences are there between the NSC and other qualifications? 
the NSC is benchmarked against five international qualifications. The International Baccalaureate Diploma Program, IBDP, which is offered all over the world, all over the world, not in one country. The Kenyan Certificate of Secondary Education offered in Kenya. The New South Wales uh, Higher School Certificate, uh, which is offered in Australia, in a state in, in Australia. I must indicate that the New South Wales re replaced Ghana Senior Secondary School Certificate because Ghana was not forthcoming in terms of provide, providing us with documentation and consent to look at their, their qualification against ours. So when they were experiencing those delays, we had to uh, remove Ghana from, from our plans. We, we then had Zimbabwean forms, five to six advanced level offered by ZIMSEC. Um, and then we've got the Cambridge Assessment International Education, AS and A-levels, offered not in one country, but in a number of jurisdictions. The following five subjects were selected. Um, they were uh, English first additional language. The, the logic behind that is that most learners take English first additional language in South Africa. The other subject is geography, life sciences, which is called biology in other jurisdictions, mathematics and physical sciences. Um, we, I'm going to hand over to Mr. Bikili Porter to proceed with the, with the presentation by giving us the details of the presentation and also why, why we chose uh, those countries. Um, Biki, over to you. Thank you, um, Dr. Agumetsi. Let me begin by greeting the chairperson of the portfolio committee, as well as all the honorable members in the meeting, as, as well as our chairperson, Professor Balim and the Umalusi colleagues. Um, in terms of the reasoning or the rationale behind the selection, we looked at two or three things. Firstly, we needed um, the benchmarking to be done in both well-established countries and countries of comparable economic status in the region as well as abroad. At the regional level, we looked at Kenya, um, which is in East Africa. We needed to look at um, West Africa. That's why the CEO said we needed to look at Ghana, but for unforeseeable reasons, we've had to make a, a change in that regard. And uh, we also looked at what is happening in Zimbabwe. Um, outside of our continent, we went to the New South Wales, the higher certificate school certificate, which replaced Ghana. We also looked at the IBDP as well as the CIE, which are qualified. The, 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 the IBDP and the CIE are qualifications and or programs which are offered all over all over the world. Now, the next question um, is uh, what method um, was used in conducting the benchmarking study? This study was conducted in three ways. The first um, way was for the service provider to do what we call a qualification review for each of the selected qualifications. And this involved um, identification and uh, analyzing critically 
each of the qualifications score components and the underpinning quality assurance mechanisms. So that was the first step. And once this was done, they then moved on to stage number two, during which they did what we call comparative analysis. They did a detailed analysis of the core components identified in stage number one against suitable um, specific dimensions. And then the final step was for the service provider to do what we call evaluation and benchmarking, during which stage the service provider drew together the key findings of steps number one and step number two above in order to determine the overall level of comparability of the qualifications in the context of the selected comparison points. So this was the methodology. It was a three-step approach employed. Now, focusing on the dimensions that uh, the service provider focused on when they looked at the qualification, they looked at um, six things. Firstly, they looked at comparability of entry requirements. Secondly, they looked at the duration that students are taking in order to successfully complete the qualification. Thirdly, they looked at how the qualification is structured and what its contents are. And fourthly, they looked at the modes of learning. And at, um, fifthly, they had to look at similarities and differences as far as uh, method of assessments are concerned. And then finally, they considered the associated um, outcomes. This is at the level of qualification. Now, moving on to um, um, step number two, which considered um, the subject, they compared the subject. There are several dimensions that were considered here too. The first one was the structural features, the subject-specific requirements and the expected prior learning, as well as the duration of the study and then progression rules. Secondly, they looked at the aims of the subjects, the intentions and purposes of the selected subjects. Thirdly, they considered the learning outcomes, which are the key knowledge, skills, and competencies to be demonstrated by the candidates. At the fourth level, they looked at the themes and the topics that are taught by teachers and learned by the learners. Fifthly, they considered um, assessment objectives, which are used to identify the knowledge, skills, and competencies that students are are assessed on. And then finally, the method of assessments through which both internal and external assessment take place, as well as um, the weighting of the different examination components, um, the ratio between internal and external assessments. So this is what was considered as far as the comparability of our subjects, its consent. Moving on, we are now on this slide looking at the policy documents which were um, consulted in undertaking the study. In our own case, we provided the service provider with the national policy pertaining to the program and promotion requirements of the national curriculum statements for grades R to 12, which is commonly known as the NPPR. We provided the service provider with the national protocols for assessments in grades R to 12, Thirdly, the CAPS documentation in relation to the five selected subjects were also made available to the service provider. The 27 examination guidelines, as well as the question papers and associated marking memoranda or guidelines were also provided to the service provider. So these are the key documents um, that um, the service provider considered in the case of the NSC. In 
in in in in in the case of the policy documents of the other um, jurisdictions we wrote to them so they could provide the service provider with similar documents now on this slide number 10 we are providing to the members of the portfolio committee just a brief context to contextualize the findings uh, emanating from the study now in terms of um, the subjects and the minimum subject required um, in order for students to pass the qualification. We begin with the NSE. It is common knowledge that in our own case, we have up to 67 subjects, which subjects are categorized into eight learning fields. And students require a minimum of seven subjects. And of those seven subjects, four are compulsory. Compared to the CIE, we learn in that there are 55 courses or subjects on offer. And uh, in this case, the CEO has already indicated that the CIE is offered in plus minus 160 countries. There are no compulsory subjects as far as the CIE is concerned. And uh, what happens is that schools make a decision on subject combinations. While there are no compulsory subjects, there is a common arrangement and at the AS levels, um, there are four subjects, while at the A levels, there are three subjects on offer. Moving on to look at the IBDP, um, there are six subject groupings. And what happens is that students are required to take one subject from each of the six groups. And additional to that, they take one compulsory core, uh, which is made up of three components and uh, it's offered uh, like the CIE in many jurisdictions across the world. Moving on to look at uh, what is happening in Kenya, we know um, that there are 30 subjects on offer, out of which students take between seven and nine subjects from a specified groupings. So we are now moving on to look at the New South Wales where we learned that there are over 100 courses in 10 areas. So they are categorized in terms of areas. And uh, in terms of um, these minimum subject required, we learned that there are 12 units of preliminary courses, which students take in year number 11. And in the following year, which is year number 12, students take 10 units of courses. And one course is equivalent to one or two. And then finally on the slide, um, looking at what is happening in Zimbabwe, there are five pathways of seven to 10 subjects each. And uh, learners are placed on the program on the basis of the acquired competence. So this is just a brief context that we saw to be useful um, for the discussion that we are having this morning. Um, now, on this um, slide, I think the next couple of slides, we will be looking at what we have learned from the report in terms of the differences and similarities of the NSC um, relative to the selected qualifications. Firstly, in terms of the entry requirements, the report tells us that um, there's high level of comparability between the NSC and the other um, qualifications, the other three qualifications, those being the New South Wales qualification, the ZIMSEC, as well as the Kenyan qualifications. And this de high degree of comparability is brought by the fact that students are expected 
to produce evidence of achievement of up to the previous year of schooling. In contrast, the IB, DP, and the CIE, AS, and A-levels do not have strictly listed entry requirements. And this is partly due to their nature as programs, which operate in a wide range of programs, um, or, or in, in, in a wide range of international contexts. So in short, what distinguishes the IB, DP, and CIE um, to the NSE and other qualifications that these are programs, whereas the NSE is a qualification. So that's where um, we stand relative to the qualifications and program. Moving on to look at the duration, we learned that the IB, the CIE levels, and the New South Wales qualification, together with the ZIMSEC school living programs, are all generally two years in duration. So students spend two years, and if they are successful, they get awarded with the certificate. Compared to our own situation, we know that the NSC is a three-year a qualification beginning in grade 10 and then ending in grade 12. So it has one year um, um, longer duration than the majority of the comparator programs. However, the report says, when considered as a component of the full number of years of schooling, all systems are comparable. So that is the finding as far as the duration is concerned. We are now on this slide focusing on the differences and similarities in terms of the structure of the qualifications. And uh, in this regard, we learned that the NSC aligns most closely with the subjects studied at the standard level um, of the IB diploma program. The, relative to the higher level subjects, the report um, tells us that some of those subjects' details and complexity place the IB award at a slightly higher overall level. So in other words, the NSC sits somewhere in between the standard and the higher level subjects. Compared to the Kenyan um, school living um, um, certificate, the NSC is generally at the higher overall level. However, the, both the NSC and the KCSE require a comparable number of subjects and have some elements of compulsory subject selection in relation to languages and mathematics, and they build on a similar number of years of prior learning. Now, looking at ourselves relative to the ZIMSEC qualifications, Form 5 and 6, we learned that the NSC has comparable entry requirements, but many structural differences. That the ZIMSEC um, qualification is a single subject style qualification which involves two years of study in comparison with the NSC's three years. So that's how we compare. Looking at ourselves in relation to the New South Wales qualification, the NSC has a comparable number of subjects and a similar number of years of schooling, but the New South Wales qualification has two years duration compared to the NSC's three years, FET phase. And finally, Relative to the NSC, the CIE is a single subject style of the AS and the A levels, which leads students to a typically narrower subject range, which is counterbalanced by further depth and or complexity or extra content breadth within each subject that is studied. We just need to remind um, each other here that um, unlike the NSC, there are no compulsory subjects here. So that is how the NSC compares with the selected um, qualifications at the level 
of a qualification. Now, this slide and three more to come focus on the subject specifications. We begin with the number of subjects, and the report tells us that uh, there's um, variability between the different programs in terms of the number of subjects. The NSE seven subject minimum is similar to the pattern of study in the IB diploma program, the New South Wales and the Kenyan um, uh, school living certificate. The exception here is the ZIMSEC qualification. As far as the compulsory subjects are concerned, the NSC is the most prescriptive sources the report because it has four most compulsory subjects, two of which are languages, one at home language level and the other at first additional language level. And this um, one of the two must be English. The second is, the, is life orientation and the last is the math and or mathematical literacy. The Kenyan school living qualification also prescribes three subjects, um, which subjects are English, Kiswahili, which is a mother tongue, and mathematics. And this prescription is made out of a minimum of seven subjects. And the New South Wales qualification prescribes that English be studied. So the only prescription made by the New South Wales qualification is that English should be studied. Moving on to look at the IB diploma program, we observe that this has compulsory core elements, but the subjects are guided by a grouping system rather than prescribing specific curricula. So unlike the NSE and the KCSE, the IB diploma program does not make a prescription to say you shall study math, you shall study English. So the grouping system is what guides the subject selection. With regard to the CIEA, CIE program, the report tells us that the A-level structure underpinning the CIE and the ZIMSEC for goes compulsory subjects. So in other words, in the CIE and the ZIMSEC system, there is no prescription in terms of which subjects are compulsory. The same is true for the IB diploma program. Looking at the aims, outcomes, and study mode, the report tells us that there are considerable similarities between the NSC's aims, learning outcomes, and assessment objectives, and those of the other systems that all analyze qualifications aim to enable students to progress to either higher or further education or the world of work. So there's a fair, high amount of comparability here between the NSC and the competitor uh, qualifications and or program. Regarding the mode of study, we learned that um, the NSC is comparable to the other programs. So to summarize, we, are, we compare favorably with the other qualifications as far as aims, outcomes, and the study modes are concerned. We are now focusing on the concept called um, breadth and depth. By breadth, we mean how many knowledge elements um, are contained in each of the subjects studied and how deep do we go in teaching those. Now, what we have learned from this report is that the levels of breadth and depth in the NSC are appropriate for a school living qualifications. Comparing ourselves with ZIMSEC regarding breadth, the report says, except for ZIMSEC, all the qualifications programs emphasize breadth in a range of subjects studied. And as far as depth is concerned, the second year of the New South Wales qualification and the CIE, together with ZIMSEC's form six subjects and the International Baccalaureate Diploma Programs higher level options, 
they showed either more depth or complexity of content in some areas when compared to the comparator NSC subjects. The A-level structure that underpins the CIE and ZIMSEX programs emphasize depth in a smaller number of subjects in comparison with the other programs. We are now moving on to look at how the knowledge elements are sequenced and paced. Let's say we have 10 knowledge elements to be covered as far as mathematics is concerned. The question here is how do we sequence them and how do we pace ourselves? The report says the NSC's approach of giving guidance on the sequencing and pacing of content appears to be more prescriptive than all other comparator qualifications. And according to the report, this prescriptive approach appears to be motivated by the need to provide uniform student experiences rather than enabling teacher flexibility. So that is a finding with regard to sequencing and pacing. Chair and members of the portfolio committee, we are now going to be looking at what we have learned as far as methods of assessment are concerned. And in this case, we learned that the NSC's assessment methods have more similarities with the approaches deployed by other comparison programs. Firstly, we learned that the fixed ratio of SBA and external components across all subjects is more similar to the NSC's so New South Wales um, qualification approach. Um, what the report tells us is that the Kenyan qualifications and the CIE programs do not include internal assessment for English and mathematics. In other words, English and mathematics uh, do not have um, schoolwork that contributes towards the final mark. Regarding the New South Wales qualification, what makes it different to the NSC is that the split um, the ratio of internal to external assessment is 50-50. So 50 marks that are acquired during the year contribute, sorry, not 50 marks, 50% of the marks acquired during the year contribute half of the final mark. The approaches to marking formal assessment in the NSC are closely meshed with programs such as the CIE, AS and the A-levels, the IB Diploma Program, and the New South Wales Qualification. The IBDP does not allow calculators in external examinations for maths. So this is something that distinguishes um, the IBDP um, from the rest of the qualifications. Now I will focus on what we have learned from the study as far as the subject level findings are concerned. And we start with English and geography. Regarding English, the NSC has much in common with other curricula that teach English as a second or as an additional language. While the curriculum framework uses different language modalities of speaking, of listening, reading, and writing as a structure, the report tells us that this is appropriate for an additional language curriculum. So the, 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 the way we teach English or we approach the teaching of English is highly comparable with what is happening elsewhere in the world. Looking at geography, the NSC is an effectively structured and designed curriculum. It has many similarities with others in terms of aims, intended learning outcomes, and assessment approaches. The differences reflected the very national regional foci in terms of what content is prioritized in a geography curriculum. So here context does matter, to state it differently. 
Looking at um, our own maths relative to maths from other jurisdictions, the report says all curricula have substantial similarities at the level of intended learning outcomes and assessment methods. On the other hand, all the curricula show differences in emphasis on certain topics. And in this regard, the report says the NSE shows less emphasis on the topic of mechanics and the use of technology. And it shows more emphasis on special skills than the other qualifications. So that is what makes us um, uh, differ with the other qualifications. Regarding life sciences, the report says the NSE has many similarities with the learning outcomes and assessment objectives of biology curriculum in comparison with the other programs. At the same time, the NSE is the only um, um, qualification to cover a history of life on Earth as one of its topics in in life sciences. Like the Kenyan and New South Wales qualification, the NSE does not cover statistical methods as um, 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 a knowledge area. Some content priority differences were identified in the study, particularly where certain comparison curricula have greater focus on mathematical skills than the NSE life sciences. And finally, on this slide, regarding physical sciences, while the NSE combines the content of physics and chemistry, these are generally distinct subjects in other systems. So you have this in um, um, as separate subjects. The unique feature of the NSC is its helicoidal approach. By helicoidal, um, it's meant that the same topic is covered across the different grades. And the difference is that as you go higher um, up the ladder, the topic is covered in greater depth and complexity. Similar assessment methods are used across the comparison points in these subjects, though some provide a slightly more rigorous test of higher order skills than the NSC curricula. So those are the similarities and differences as far as the subjects are concerned. Now, this slide is intended just to summarize what we have learned up to so far. Firstly, the IB diploma program and the CIEAS levels, they have no entry requirements. The NSC has longer duration than others and the most compulsory subjects. The NSC is the strictest in terms of prescribing what is taught, in what sequence that is taught, and within exactly what time frame. Some indications of greater depth and complexity of subject content were observed in some aspects of other programs in comparison with the NSC. The IB diploma program and the Kenyan qualifications have a predefined assessment criteria, which is called criterion reference approach, as opposed to our norm reference approach. Regarding mathematics, we have learned that it has less emphasis on topics of mechanics and use of technology. Life sciences has less emphasis on mathematical skills, and physical sciences is the only um, subject to combine chemistry and physics. So that is just to summarize what we have learned. Now, the next couple of slides will focus on what recommendations come out of the study on the basis of the findings. The first one um, relates to standardization in terms of articulation of aims, learning outcomes, and the relationship between this and the key skills. And the key skills that are singled out in the report are literacy and numeracy, lifelong learning, ICT skills, flexibility and adaptability, and project um, skills that students should develop. The structure of how the areas of cognitive demand are presented may be helpful 
um, to certain stakeholders who teach or learn more than one subject and therefore use multiple subject guides to understand the NSC curriculum. So this does call for uniformity in terms of the stipulation of the weighting of the cognitive demand across cognate subjects. On this slide, we just um, emphasizing the same point we've made in, on the previous slides, but slightly different. These are currently not explicitly stated as outcomes in the subjects that were considered. Regarding subject-specific recommendations, we begin with geography. The report says it is worth considering whether some topics could be updated in relation to their reference to scholarship or models of geographic thinking. Some of the urban models, such as the Harris and Ullman, have been a little overtaken by modern urbanization trends, and globalization has also changed the dynamics of trade with regard to terms such as break of bulk points. Moving on to maths, we learned that alternative programs demonstrate a greater emphasis than the NSC on the development of ICT skills as a learning outcome, specifically linked to the study of maths. So, so, so that is um, what has been learned. Life sciences, where some programs demonstrate a greater emphasis on the skill of maths within the field of biology than the NSC life sciences. The question is whether this skill should be given priority or not, considering our own context. And regarding physical science, it is worth rethinking the packaging of the subject. Chemistry and physics are two distinct subjects in other jurisdictions um, compared to in our own case where this is, these are combined in one to make one subject. Now, the question is whether if we want to, to rethink that, uh, what are the implications in terms of the resources? Now, this is the point, uh, Chair, where I need to hand back to the CEO to conclude the discussion. Dr. Akometsi, um, um, over to you. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Leporton. Chairperson, uh, Honorable Members, in conclusion, there, there is something that we need to emphasize, and that is that as South Africa, we've got our own history and we've got our own context so that uh, what flourishes in the education system elsewhere may, may be good and may thrive in that area. But it may not thrive in our context because of our history. We've got our own unique history. We've got our own unique context. As a, as a, as a student at, at varsity doing education way back then, we, we used to do um, a module called Comparative Education. Comparative Education. This module was warning that when we compare education systems, you should not think that what applies and thrives in another jurisdiction will necessarily thrive in your own jurisdiction. And we, we, we later on use the, the flower metaphor where we look at the flowers, and they will come up later on, where we look at the flowers in Kenya, in Zimbabwe, and in other jurisdictions that we have looked at. And we are saying they are beautiful there, where they are. But because of the soil type that we have in South Africa, because of the weather conditions that we have in South Africa, what looks good in another jurisdiction may not necessarily be good in our context. What this calls for is that having done the comparative study, our qualifications and curriculum experts have to look at what we have and say, will what we have learned in other jurisdictions 
work in South Africa. Um, some of the comparison points are qualifications and some are programs. The IB and um, International Baccalaureate and the CIE are programs. And we're talking here about, about, about a qualification in the context of South Africa. There are also differences in terms of the purpose of the qualification and the program. For instance, we have to look at what the NLC's uh, purpose is. For instance, I want to make a point that the NSC is not only leading students to, to university. It leads students to the world of work. It is also a qualification that is used by people who just want to understand how the country operates. So it has got um, a multifaceted kind of, of purpose. So when you look at what is is good in another jurisdiction, you must also check what the purpose of that qualification is. The, the systems also differ with regards to the number of schooling years. Uh, you have noted that with um, uh, ZIMSEC also having 13 years of schooling, where we have only 12 years of schooling. The qualifications and programs differ in relation to the number of subjects in their packaging. And I want to make another point here and say, you might have noticed that in one of the jurisdictions that uh, Mr. Laporte has been talking to, mathematics has got technology and, math and, and mechanics. And our mathematics does not have that. What this means, because of the broad scope of our subjects, technology in South Africa is taken care of in ICT, which is a standalone subject. But in another jurisdiction, it is part of mathematics. Mechanics, we've got mechano techno technology in, 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 in one of the subjects that we have in, in, in curriculum. So it is not catered for in mathematics. In life sciences, for instance, in one of the jurisdictions I observed that um, they've got statistical methods Statistical methods in the context of South Africa will be accommodated elsewhere. Um, so we have to bear all this in mind. Based on these, uh, some aspects which may have been found to be lacking in some of the NSC subjects considered in the study may be covered in other subjects which were not part of the study. That is very, that is very important. We, we are losing, you are using a, a flower metaphor in the next slide. To say in South Africa, Biki, we've got the protea. The protea thrives in our weather conditions. It thrives in the South African soil. Uh, the black lily thrives in Kenya, flame lily in Zimbabwe. I may like the, the flame lily, but will it thrive if I were to transplant it to South Africa? And vice versa. If, for instance, the Zimbabweans may like the protea, will it really work in their context? Uh, looking at their history, looking at uh, the, the contextual differences. So we go on and on with that and say, as we do comparison, we have to be careful what we bring over and what we don't bring over. Biggie, next slide. We, we, we still indicate in all our presentations throughout the year uh, that we are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Umalusi under the theme two decades of education guardianship. This slide is part of our celebration uh, that will be flighting wherever we go uh, on our advocacy in, with the interaction that, that we have, interactions 
that we have with our stakeholders. At that point, Chair, I want to pause and hand over the meeting back to you. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Doc. Um, Members, uh, that is the presentation. Yeah, yeah no. From Umalusi. Highly what what? Highly what what is benchmarking things of educated people of South Africa. I see the hand of Nodada. Can I note hands um, for members that would want to partake in the uh, presentation? I, all, I also see um, Honorable Suela. In that order, Nodada. Thank you so much, Chair. I see. Uh, um, this was a very. And thanks uh, to Malusi. You're uh, losing me, Chair. Let me try to. Proceed, proceed now. Looks like you are fine now. I'm fine. Let me just uh, make sure that I'm fine. Okay, am I audible, Chair? Yes, you are. Okay. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, the very interesting one. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I find quite a lot of interest here, you know, even ourselves. We just recently went to go do a benchmark with 17 other countries in Germany, just from another perspective, Malusi. And we found that our education system is not as bad as we think it is, but um, there's quite some few questions that I would like to ask and maybe comment on on the on the chairperson's remarks at the end there that I might disagree with. But um, I think it's it's quite important for us to establish that initially the NSC from from grade ten to twelve the intention or the intended outcome and uh, you know um, Umalusi can correct us here yeah, you know either the CEO or the chairperson. But the intended outcome there is to prepare uh, mainly learners to uh, for university entry. And I hear the, the chair at the end saying that, you know, the NSC is multifaceted, you know, prepare people for the world of work and so on and so on. And the reality of the situation is that in South Africa, we've got seven in every 10 young people unemployed, you know. Um, and some of them having qualification in this NSC, some of them even having qualification at a university level. But just to bring it back to this thing of preparing learners for, for university and looking at our metric examination and how many learners at that particular level between those grades up until metric when they write the metric examination and how many of them actually get a qualification in terms of bachelor's or even you know a, a national diploma entry in university, you will find that there's a very, very low number. Uh, or low percentage of learners that actually make it through the system to be able to utilize this NSA qualification to then access a further education and training. And I think there's a failure there, and we need to be asking ourselves the questions, Chair, rather than, you know, being defensive of our environment and, 
you know, what our qualifications intended for. Because if we're talking about the NEC as an exit uh, level to enter, you know, institutions of higher learning or further education or even the world of work, and we're not having enough learners, uh, you know, um, qualifying um, for a bachelor's or, or, or diploma pass, then we need to ask ourselves a question as to where the problem is. And I'm glad that in comparison to other qualifications that you've mentioned, Zimbabwe, Kenya, in North, uh, Southwest, uh, um, Wales, um, and all the other qualifications that you do did mention, that it is quite comparable. But then the outcomes then become questionable because then are we then achieving the the the, the intended purpose of this uh, NSC? And I think that's the main question that you know must be left with with us, you know, uh, particularly the department as to what exactly can we do to improve that um, uh, that outcome um, percentage of learners that go through that particular system of the NEC. And I do think that it's quite largely related to quality teaching because the curriculum is set out right now is not a bad curriculum. But I do think that if all of these ideas and these recommendations and these studies that we do um, don't translate to practical action that will tangibly change uh, the outcomes for the better, then we should be we will be failing there. So the question I want to ask, you know, Umalusi mainly is, what could be the possible reasons that make, you know, the bachelor pass rate so low to a point where I mean I think at some point it was thirteen percent only of the whole cohort that wrote the examinations that actually had a bachelor pass. Um, you know, uh, qualification uh, to be able to access university. What would we make it so low? Um, uh, is it maybe the, the, our foundation uh, levels that contribute to maybe learners not being able to comprehend that type of standard in the NSC that is required? Is it the quality of teaching? What are the elements? Because that's where we need to look at so that when we do talk about the NSC qualification um, and, and hold and be proud of it, you know, we must be able to, to make sure that the learner in, in, at the and, you know, achieve the outcomes that it's intended for them to access university, the job market, and so on, as, as, as the chair was, was saying. I do think, secondly, the, there is an effectiveness in terms of uh, some of the compulsory subjects. Um, you, know, uh, you know, we're benchmarking, like, we're, like I was saying, we're benchmarking with other countries, you know, uh, in, in Europe, in, um, in some African countries, some uh, um, uh, Latin American countries, and so on. But there is, there is an effect in terms of making maths compulsory, the language is compulsory, and then there's an element of what we call life orientations or life or, or life skills, or what we call soft skills, if you wanna if you wanna put it that way, um, and you know skills that are outside of you know the formal learning space. I think it, it it is quite effective to do that, but I do think maybe I would like to get a comment, you know, uh, from Uma Lucy in terms of I know it wasn't benchmarking this particular study. But in terms of, of, of life orientation as a subject that is compulsory, that is supposed to equip learners to be able to get by in our own environment. Like you're saying, it's a pro here we in South Africa. There's certain things that learners need to, you know, to kind of know for them to, to kind of acquire those soft skills or is it utilized, for example, for them to use LO as a therapy session to go and see a psychologist or can it be used for them to acquire soft uh, life skills in terms of knowing what SARS is, uh, you know, how the system of governments work and so on, for them to be able to just operate in life. Is there a need to rejig that so that learners better adapt to our own environment in the country or, you know, is the curriculum offering 
at this point in time, you know, uh, fine as rigid as it is. And the reason why I ask the question is because you'll find that that particular uh, subject, for example, is left, you know, in the hands of, you know, that particular uh, state or province in our case, um, and in that particular uh, district or that particular school to utilize based on the environment, because there's not a, a protea everywhere. Yes, a protea is a South African flower, but, you know, yeah, in the Western Cape or in Northern Cape, there's a certain way in which, or in a particular district in the Northern Cape, that there are certain life skills that are required uh, or soft skills that are required for learners to acquire so that they can get by to, in, in life. So the point I'm trying to drive to is that, is there a need for us to decentralize? Because as much as they, it's good to have those compulsory subjects, right? Is there a need for us to decentralize um, the manner in which some of the, the subjects are actually taught? So the pedagogies that are used by teachers um, or the use of that particular subject based on that environment so that we're not so prescript, prescriptive to a point where by now we all of us have to go and cram at the end of the uh, three years of the NSC, cram uh, for an assessment that is an examination that is designed in a central way. Um, that you know, um, you know, in my view, has an element of you know, you cram, but there is you know elements of you know, are you knowledgeable about the subject? But mainly, largely, you know, it's like a cramming cramming system that is centralized. And, you know, there's no uh, flexibility in terms of how do teachers, you know, uh, teach. Um, uh, there's no flexibility in terms of assessment. Uh, how do we best assess so that we don't end up with a 13% cohort uh, of, of learners that just have a bachelor's pass going to university? And then what do we say about the rest that have been through the system uh, of, of, of the NSC? Um, so that's the main, main question that I have. Uh, in terms of flexibility, in terms of the curriculum that, you know, can be decentralized, but also the assessment methods is the examination, the final examination, the only method that we can test knowledge uh, or knowledgeable skills um, on these subjects that, that have been indicated, you know. Um, and I think it's something that we need to rethink. And 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 benchmarks like this, you know, requires to rethink. I mean, I was fortunate to meet the professor that leads the, 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 the team's um, assessments and you know he basically said look we can do these general uh, teams uh, tests and I can show you the graphs but because the environments are not the same they differ uh, there's nothing you can take away from it you know uh, there might be a certain number that we can say internationally they need to meet but every environment is unique and you can't judge those outcomes based simply on that you need to be able to decentralize and go in depth, you know, look at the different uh, assessment methods, look at whether the uh, professional uh, knowledge and, and personal skills that are being developed by those learners, uh, you know, are you flexible enough in your curriculum to make sure um, that um, uh, you achieve the outcomes? Then you, you won't analyze the wrong assessment to say we've got a metric pass rate of 76, but of this 76%, only 13% of the learners have an access to a bachelor's pass and the intendant. Uh, uh, requirement for an NEC was for you to access university. So meaning we're failing in that instance in any way. So it, it, it's just some things that I, uh, uh, I, I just like to put to 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 to, to Malusi to maybe respond to. I know some of them, you know, are questions and, and, and comments, you know, in between and I hope you, you'll be able to to, to answer that. Um, and then I wanted to check in terms of um, that now that the study, you know, shows that our curriculum is comparable, 
um, why does not why does that not reflect in our results? You know, it's comparable, but why doesn't it reflect reflect in our results? You will see. I mean, I've come across a lot of um, um, you know uh, uh, foreign um, you know uh, people that come from Zimbabwe, or Kenya. They easily you know enter our economy. Then they participate in the economy uh, based on and the qualification that they have at that level, which is comparable. But in our own case, with South Africa, we've got such a high unemployment rate. So, you know, as much as we're comparable, what does, why doesn't it reflect in our results, as I've mentioned earlier, but also, um, you know, the contributing factor of, of, of a high unemployment rate? Um, and what could be the possible reasons as to why learners are not university ready, which is linked to, to the question, so, so that I can be very clear about my questions beyond the comments that I've made. Um, and I wanted to check when you reported to uh, when you did the report and you presented it to the minister and the deputy minister and I'm assuming that the department, um, you know, what was what is the intended uh, use of DBE? What what do they intend to use this report for? Because there's quite a few recommendations, and in the recommendations, I hear the chairperson has rebutted some of them. Um, you know, what is the intended use of this particular report? Um, and it would be interesting, Chair, to actually do a follow-up on this one because it talks to the core of the reason why, you know, the NSC exists to begin with, but also at, at the core of our education system because it's everything that everyone looks forward to in January, the announcement of these results, of, of metric results, which are the NSC qualification. Um, and, and it would be interesting to follow um, what is being done to rejig our curriculum um, to make sure that at least um, as much as it's comparable, it then become it, it is effective. You know, we see it in the learners' outcomes. We see it in people actually progressing and not ending up in the unemployment rank, ranks. Because unless the study is followed by effective and efficient action, it will simply, you know, just be, you know, a waste of money, uh, to be honest, uh, Chair. Um, so the last bit of questions that I want to ask that are very specific um, is that, there is that three-stream curriculum model that I've asked the minister, and I actually commended the minister about three-stream curriculum model, and I was told that it's going to be updated in the website, website and all of that. And the, the three-stream curriculum model is quite similar to the, the German system that has four components. You know, uh, It's got a qualification that prepares people for university. It's got a qualification that prepares people for TV colleges, or, um, and then it's got a qualification that prepares people for technical universities. Then it's got a qualification... Um, you know, that simply gives you your basic life skills that you need to go by, um, a qualification that you, you need as an education. So with the three-stream curriculum model, um, how far is it and what enhancements is it going to bring to the NSC um, um, as, as a qualification that is intended to, um, you know, quote the chairperson, equip people for the world of work, uh, but also um, making sure that there's entry in other institutions of higher learning or further education, if you want to put it that way. And the reason why I ask the question is because maybe it is time that we rethink some of these subjects, uh, a, a chair, that, you know, do we, do we still put physics and, and chemistry together? Do we, is there no need for us to, to make, you know, mathematics uh, much more ict uh, related as much as we've got um, coding and robotics as an element on its own. Um, is it not high time for us uh, to review um, uh, the, the whole curriculum in its own to trim it and make sure that we focus on depth 
um, as indicated, uh, rather than you know the quantitative uh, breadth of it. So um, you know these are some of the things that I think we need to think about, um, and maybe Umanlose can advise as to practically how do we then go about doing that, not just for these subjects that have been benchmarked um, for the NSC, but generally. Uh, in the NEC uh, uh, qualification and generally in the system and other qualifications uh, that, I mean, you are responsible of quality assuring, um, that we actually do develop skills that are relevant, knowledge, you know, professional skills that are, uh, are going to be used, knowledge, personal skills that people can be able to utilize to participate in the economy, to further their education, to make sure that we get a quality, a quality, a quality certificate. And in developing teachers, is there mechanisms and bankism in place to kind of quality assure their qualifications. So if you go to university and say you're going to study an FET subject, uh, FET subject so that you can be able to become a teacher, is there some form of quality uh, assurance that is linked to the three-stream curriculum model or the curriculum as, as, as benchmarked here? And, and these are the things that sometimes hold us back uh, because then we, you know, teachers just get qualified and then we have to upskill them or professionally develop them. Um, and, you know, there sometimes seems to not be a, a, a synergy there, you know, that get done at some point in time. So uh, that's why I asked the question in relation to the three stream curriculum model. And the second last one is that um, th- there's obviously some subjects that have been excluded in the in the study. I mean, rightfully so, and uh, we focused on the basics. Um, is there an intended purpose, maybe to to uh, do a further dive in into them um, and see the effectiveness and how do we best make them a, a bit better uh, to ensure that the effective history is an example. I know history is used as a weapon in many countries. Uh, to indoctrinate uh, learners. I mean, even myself here in South Africa, I did history up until matric level. And I feel as if, you know, it was just an indoctrination of a certain uh, side of, of, of history. So, it, you know, um, is there a way in which we can review some of these subjects to make sure that they're effective and learners can be able to utilize them in the world of work? Um, and then, Chair, the, the, there were comments made by, by the chairperson at the end there. Um, and... As much as we do understand that the environment is different and 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 all of that, I, I don't think we should um, we should take be- best practice or we should learn from what is good in other countries and trying to u- and try utilize them in South Africa, but utilizing them in a decentralized manner. And this is a, a conversation that I'll consistently bring up because I don't believe that um, education should be a central commodity at a national government level. I do think there's a need for decentralization um, and giving more power to, to provinces. And even in other countries, they go as far as the municipal level where, they, where it's effective. But even in terms of curriculum setting, you know, where you know, curriculum is set as a framework at a national level, but in terms of how it's implemented, the pedagogy is used, uh, the mechanisms that are used, uh, like the studies showed now, that it shouldn't be as prescriptive, you know, um, as, as it is at the point in time, so that we can make sure that we accommodate those different proteas that exist in our different environments. And I think it's something I want to trigger Malusi to maybe do a response uh, to, and even DBE to do a response to. I know, Chair, this was long, but it's a subject that I'm really passionate about. And I've got a very keen interest um, on, on, some, on some specific uh, questions on it, and I, I can even write some of them to, to just to make sure that I get the right answers for it in 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 relation to the study. Thank you, Chair.
Thank you, Honorable Suela. Uh, thank you, Chairperson. And with your permission, uh, I uh, we are gonna we are Talamanje. Your, your network is a problem. I would prefer not to open this. Can you hear me now? Hello. Proceed. Oh, oh okay, Chair. Uh, let me just uh, leave all other things and go straight to the questions before my network distracts me again. Chair, the first question probably that I will I, I, I have is that in relation to the breadth and depth of our NSC system, the finding is that the other systems have more depth or complexity of content. What are the implications in the further education space or higher education a student from the other system will have more depth of knowledge than our students. The second question is, is the lack of depth and breadth of our qualification one of the factors contributing to poor adaptation at a university level, resulting to a failure at higher education level? And lastly, Chair, noting the difference of context in our country, is a prescriptive approach restrictive to the creativity of the teacher and to adapt a pace to her conditions in order to enable learners to grasp the content than galloping based on the prescribed approach. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Suela. Um, there's no other hand, not unless I'm not seeing it. There is a hand from the principal. Oh, I, I did not see your hand, Principal Mara. You can proceed. Thank you. And thank you very much, Muluda Studo, and uh, everybody on this all-important platform, the platform on the Portfolio Committee on Basic Education. Chair, for a start, let me join those who came before me but uh, i will add by saying we welcome and appreciate the presentation of course as uh, brought to this portfolio committee by umadus but we must continue to appreciate the good work chair that Umadus is doing. They are very consistent in as far as um, monitoring uh, performance of our education day in and day out. And uh, it's something which we definitely have to put great value on. Because without them, we would never know whether we are going or coming. I have got two questions with me here before I come up with some, some of the recommendations. Um, Jefferson, the role of math in our education system can never be undermined. 
And uh, it is about time that uh, without overlooking the role of other subjects, but we must always know that the importance that mathematics is playing is as integral as it is so important to us. <laughs> Noting that our mathematics in the NSC shows less emphasis on mechanics topics and the use of technology and more emphasis instead it shows more emphasis on the spatial skills than some comparison points. What could be the implication of this finding and does this require some curriculum adaptation going forward to keep it in balance? The second question would last to do do the findings of this study also reflect a need to review all CAPS subjects, noting the gaps identified in the subjects in this study as a way of addressing the dynamic and changing world? And after those questions, Jefferson, can I be allowed to say on behalf of the portfolio committee, or this portfolio committee, we move or we accept the recommendations of Umalusi as captured in this study. Because by the look of things, if you go to that slide which deals with the recommendations, I think it is taking as many steps forward than remaining in a static position. I'll further recommend that we continue to assess the implementation of this stream model as we undertake a comparison with other global models. Thank you very much, Chairperson, for the opportunity. Thank you very much, uh, our principal. Any other hand? No? Um, from me, um, slide, slide 16, uh, or page 16, on the on the aims and outcomes, um, you are alluding there that there are considerable similarities between the NSCs, um, the NSCs aims, the learning outcomes, the assessment objectives, and um, those of the other of the other systems. Now, my issue or my question rather is 
pass rate here in the country is 33%. And um, how is that then compared to other to other systems? And then um, on on slide 17, um, the death the death referred to um, does it relate to the death of content on the NSC or or the curriculum um, coverage? On slide 21, does CIE offer English as additional language or is it offered as a, as a home language? And then there is KCSE, there's NWS. By the way, there are a lot of acronyms, uh, DOC, a lot of acronyms, and you know, we are not educated like yourselves. Eh? And then... NSC, um, they they all they don't cover the the statistical methods. Now, now I think that needs to be. I I I think that needs to be to be to be to be revisited, and I will say why I'm saying so. You know when you get to to a tertiary um a level you can you then get to be introduced to to research and um i don't know with other people but when you are supposed to deal with issues of data the statistics and i mean those who have done um a research it gets to be complicated because you do not have that background of statistics uh, from a high school level. Um, so one just thing that we probably need to, to 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 revisit that there needs to be something of a data that is done um for you also as part of uh, the, the the NSC. But for interest sake, and I know that you have taken few subjects uh, that you came to present to us, but um, in terms of this presentation, where does it, where does the the technical maths uh, fit uh, in the in the whole picture? Because I have not heard any any reference um, of it. And then slide 28, where, where Dr. Akometsi started uh, presenting towards the end. Um, your conclusion, you are affirming that uh, there are historical differences and contextual differences. Yet on slide 16, you have alluded to the, to the similarities. Probably it's me that is reading a contradiction in those statements. But I think you'll be in a better position to to lend me further um, on on that. The I I, I, I would expect you to um, 
to um to correct me or rather to to lead me on this one and i so hope that the teacher was part of the meeting because i can i can think uh, i can forthink what he was going to say but look there's a the meeting oh you are here yeah. sorry Didi. i didn't see you coming uh, <laughs> There is a perception that um, the education of of, of Zimbabwe uh, is giving better skills uh, than our education. And in this in this question, uh, I, 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 I'm comparing Zimbabwe and and ourselves. And whilst um, as the country we and you are even saying that we are placed um, well internationally. And I think Honorable Lodara as well has said that we are not doing bad. I am not saying we are doing bad. But what makes our learners to exit uh, system? And DPE would be a better place. That's why I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm even thinking, I'm even knowing what the DG would say in responding um, uh, in this question, um, what makes our learners to to exit uh, the system, and we would not know uh, where they are, or rather, what would make Zimbabwe to give better skills than than um, than, than than ourselves? And I want to couple this question. And and recently we had um um um. um a presentation about the the issue of foreign um, nationals. I mean, our the, the foreign nationals they are entering in this country, and in most of our high schools now, the perception is that they are the ones who are giving mathematics and physical science um, as we speak. So why would it continuously be perceived? You rather come from Zimbabwe and have better education. Than than what we could offer as um as a country, and then um, in your view, um, Omalusi, what value um has the NSC towards the growth of our of our South African um economy? And I also want to. Um, to add on what Honorable Noda said with regards to the history as a subject. Um, is it excluded in the study because of it is no longer there or you have excluded because of it is, looks like it is really excluded um, generally also in our, in our, in our schools. So those are the, those are the questions from my from my side, and I am going to give to DBE first, uh, probably DG, and welcome. Or must we end off by you? Please check and I please come in. Okay, fine. Thank you, Honorable Chair, Honorable Members, the, the Chair of Umalusi, Professor Balem, and congratulations uh, on your new responsibility to lead the Council, and uh, to the CEO and uh, 
hardworking team of Uma Lucy, senior managers of the department and colleagues who are supporting uh, the portfolio committee. Uh, honorable members, thank you for affording us the privilege to participate in this discussion. I am constrained by the fact that, as you would know, that I've been sent out by your oversight uh, work to say I must go out and monitor the work of the department. Uh, so I might be constrained by connectivity, uh, um, availability, or ability to connect uh, throughout. So Dr. Polia is in a better position to respond to all of these things blow by blow. We send him because we know he's able to do that from a curriculum and even assessment point of view. Just one or two points. I want to also add my voice in congratulating Omar Lucy for this excellent work. This is not the first uh, uh, work done by Omar Lucy of this nature. Uh, Honorable Nodada, we also have done a similar exercise, but your question is spot on. What is the real value of this? Um, in many countries, uh, established democracies, curriculum change and uh, transformation is not informed by who, come, who comes into power. Uh, there is a policy that regulates curriculum change uh, driven by empirical exercise such as the one uh, that we have just received from Omar Lucy. Um, and the, these exercises inform our ongoing work of curriculum development and curriculum change. I can assure you uh, that this study and the study before it and the studies that we have done have confirmed our correctness in changing our curriculum. Um, uh, the committee will remember that in 2018, we brought in 18 new subjects, um, which included technical maths and technical science, uh, precisely informed by exercises of this nature. Um, we've been thinking about uh, coming up with other changes that are not necessarily going to be informed by political developments in the country, as I've indicated before. But we are also in a process of developing a framework for curriculum change. So that that framework informs when we bring about changes and uh, what would be those changes uh, predicated on. Because they must be informed by research more than anything else. Um, uh, so that, uh, you know, whatever decision you take is based on empirical evidence uh, that is provided at a given point in time. So uh, we've been talking about the need to narrow our curriculum offerings because they are too wide. In other words, some of these findings have confirmed what we've been working on. I mean, you've heard that in, in a subject like physical science, many countries have split uh, uh, this subject into two, into chemistry and physics and learners start specializing fairly early. But as Dr. Rakometi also indicated, that the context and uh, the history might be different. 
Our curriculum change is driven by experts from universities, practitioners from the classroom, NGOs, and an, an array of role players who are driving a, a, a curriculum change in the country. I'm also trying to respond to the question that says, why is it that uh, learners are unable to cope at universities? But I'm sure Dr. Polia will also respond specifically to that because there are a number of factors. You know, the, the curriculum could be one. There could be external factors to learning. Uh, and some of those factors are covered by other studies elsewhere uh, in terms of learners who are studying at, at university level. So, so I also want to say factors informing the fact that learners get employed or not, the curriculum is just but one. There are a myriad of factors which inform structural changes in our education and training system, some of which is the, is, is the split in the curriculum. For instance, uh, countries that seem to experience much better placement uh, in employment and much better economic growth uh, seem to have a larger number of their learners following the vocational and occupational stream. 50 to 60 percent. I can mention countries like Singapore, China, India, and so on. The countries like Germany and others are bothering around, you know, 40 and 50 percent, which is what we are trying to move towards with the three-stream model, that the majority of our learners must really offer, as it would be the case with any population in any country, they must offer vocational and occupational um, streams or, or, or programs than academic streams. You do need medical doctors, uh, you do need uh, others and so on, but the majority of any population must get into streams that can afford them self-employment, uh, must afford them the, the, the capability to create jobs than to even look for jobs. Uh, the three-stream model is going to try and, and answer that. Schools of skills uh, that are embedded in the notion of the, the, the three-stream curriculum, which Honorable Nodada talked about. But these options are very expensive. Uh, technical high schools, to establish them, are extremely expensive and it's going to take time for the country, but that's the direction that we need to follow. I hope that my comments have been useful. I don't want to be too long. Uh, rather give Dr. Polia, who's uh, more advantaged than I am in terms of connectivity, to answer specific questions as asked by honorable members. But I must say that this study is important so that people don't just get onto the bandwagon of 30% but look at broader vexing complex issues that are informed by an empirical study such as this one as to how do you compare the you know, qualifications, whether the qualifications compares favorably with others or not. I would be cautious to say that one education system is better than the other.
they save different contexts. They address issues emanating from different histories. That's why countries are not always willing to open up to exercises of this nature. It's not many countries that would really willingly say, yes, come and see what we are doing and look at the strengths and the weaknesses of our education system. Countries are much more cautious um, in doing something like this. But I want to thank Umalusi and thank the Portfolio Committee for affording us the opportunity to engage on matters such as this one. My view, I would want to support the chair, it requires more than two hours or three hours. This is a workshop exercise to immerse ourselves in the details of the differences in the qualification, differences in the subjects, what are the implications for the country, what options can we consider uh, as a country going forward. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, I would humbly request that Dr. Rufus Polia and other colleagues uh, who are on the platform to come and answer specific questions that uh, honorable members have uh, put uh, to us. Thank you very much for the privilege. Dr. Polia. Thank you. Thank you, DG. Uh, and, and thank you, Honorable Chairperson, once again. And, and I think our DG has provided an excellent overview, uh, which covers the questions very broadly. And I'm going to try to be uh, specific in terms of the questions raised. And, and I think uh, Honorable Nodada made a very uh, important opening statement, and, and I think it's one that we must all hold on to. And the statement he made was that our education system is not as bad as we think it is. And I think as, as a South African nation, we are extremely critical of what we do, which is extremely beneficial. But I think as we criticize the system, we must not undermine the gains and we must not for one moment forget to reflect on where we come from and, and where we are. Having said that, I think, Honorable Chairperson, we, we're all aware that we've come a long way in terms of our journey, but we are certainly not where we need to be. And I think what our DG was telling us is, what are some of our plans and what is the vision we have in terms of where do we want to get to? Now, I think the question that came up very strongly by most of our honorable members is, what is the intention of this report? Any report, if just received, and, and that's where it ends, is going to be of no value. Now, let me just say, honorable chairperson, that this report could not have come at a more appropriate time. Post-COVID uh, and, and at our national Lakotla in January, uh, we as a DBE presented a plan or a draft plan for the strengthening, for the modernization, and I like the word used by uh, Honorable Nadada, for the rejigging of uh, the uh, curriculum. And more importantly, I think over the last few months as a department, and with all our key stakeholders, including uh, Umalusi, we've been reflecting very deeply at the quality of teaching and learning in our classrooms. So we are at a point at the moment 
where we are reviewing the curriculum. And, and just to give a little bit of background, we've reviewed our curriculum in the context of COVID. And one of the criticism that has been leveled against the South African uh, curriculum over the last few years is that our curriculum is too broad, but it lacks in depth. They say that our curriculum is, is a mile wide, but an inch deep. And I think that is also surfacing from this particular report. So with the review of the annual teaching plans, the review of our CAPS, what we've done in the last two years, in 2020 as well as 2021, is to now come up with what we call a content map. And in the content map, we look at what is core in a phase. So if a learner is in grade four, moving into grade five, grade six, what is core in terms of the concepts, the content, the skills that the learner needs to develop? And I think for me, uh, Honorable Chair, as much as COVID, I mean, has been negative in more ways than one, but I think this process that we started off has now caused us to move away from content and knowledge coverage to focusing more on what this report is also raising in terms of skills development. And, and that's where I think our system uh, is lacking. So we're focusing on reducing content, but more importantly, in terms of strengthening the curriculum, we're talking about looking at competencies. And it's interesting that we had an engagement with Kenya. Uh, we also had an engagement with uh, Zimbabwe. And all of these countries, both of these countries have already moved to a competency-based framework. And, and we are saying that we are possibly a little more cautious. We want to do the necessary research. But Honorable Chair, we've already started a consultation process where we're going to look at a South African competency-based framework. And I think that's the point that is being made by the CEO of Umalusi, is that we can look at all the good practices happening and admire all the beautiful flowers. But please, we need to understand that the conditions of our soil, our climatic conditions and environmental conditions must be looked at very closely so that the curriculum we produce can flourish in, in our environment. And that's basically what we're doing. In fact, the consultation process has just started and we're hoping that the consultation process will take us about six months. And I think thereafter, honorable chairperson and honorable members, we will be in a position to share with the portfolio committee what is the draft competency-based framework for, for South Africa and how we're going to move away from knowledge. Now, I, I think in our previous uh, uh, evaluations of the curriculum, you know, done by the old UK NARIC and what is appearing in the evaluation done by ICTUS is that our curriculum is certainly uh, of world-class standard. And in fact, if you look at the preamble to our curriculum statement, all these competencies and all of these desirable learning outcomes are all couched in the preamble of our curriculum. And I think one of the honorable members in the questioning mentioned that the problem lies with our implementation. And if you look at our schooling context, because of their diversity and because of the fact that we have top performing schools, mediocre performing schools and low performing schools, 
the differences and the implementation in terms of the curriculum varies. And, and I think those are the kinds of divides that we need to implement. And in fact, in one of our discussion, we said that we need to consider differentiation more closely in terms of the South African context without stigmatizing our school, but looking at differentiation more from a support perspective rather than wanting to categorize schools so that we understand that different schools must be treated differently so that they can be supported appropriately to take us to where we need to. So I think that's the first point that this report comes at the right time. And in terms of our plan, our focus is on recovery for 2023, 2024. And in 2025, we're hoping to begin with elements of our modernized, our strengthened curriculum, which will be competency-based and which will move the focus away from knowledge acquisition for the sake of knowledge to looking at knowledge application. And one of the other elements that's missing in our curriculum is that we look at knowledge, but we do not look at the other aspects, which are sometimes regarded as soft skills, which is about attitudes, values, and more importantly, character development. And, and this is what the new framework is going to focus on. How do you develop the individual holistically and not look at just measuring his performance in an examination in terms of how much of knowledge he has gained? And I can mention to you, Honorable Nadada, that we're doing some exciting piloting in, in the GET with regard to assessments. Uh, we're looking at how do you use for example, project-based assessment to assess the other skills which cannot be assessed through a typical controlled three-hour examination. And and we're piloting and we're also building the capacity of our teachers so that these other forms of assessment which are critical uh, will now come to the fore. The other important point, uh, Honorable Chairperson, is that with COVID, we have reduced the weighting of examinations. And and obviously we had to do this. We were pushed into a corner because we could not administer exams. And and I'm talking about grade 11 and and lower. Um, For example, in in the GET band, 80% currently of the assessment is school-based. So what we're doing, honorable members, is placing a greater focus on the teacher in the classroom, the teacher assessing the learner, because the teacher spends all of his time with the learner in the classroom. And he best knows how learners are progressing in terms of the outcomes instead of depending on an external examination, which is conducted under very strict and and more importantly, um, high stakes condition, which creates a lot of stress. And you and I know that learners not all perform at their best under exam condition. So, Continuous assessment and and the term that is possibly heard in various assessment circles is assessment for learning rather than assessment of learning. Assessment of learning is important, but assessment for learning is now being rolled out. And and we have uh, training programs where we assess learners continuously. So the teacher in the classroom must assess and restructure his lessons, his teaching in terms of whether the outcomes are being achieved. So we want to move away from the previous approach of focusing on 
covering topics in the curriculum to rather looking at what are the outcomes that a learner must be able to demonstrate at the end of each grade. And if the learner cannot demonstrate the grade uh, specific outcomes, then we must go back. So we're going to come back to the portfolio committee with some very um, paradigm changes in terms of assessment, in terms of viewing how the academic year is managed and, and how we progress from one grade to the other, which is not something that we are kind of looking at in our own context, but these are international changes that are taking place uh, in assessment. Now, the Honorable Nodada uh, stressed the point about the low level of bachelor achievement. Uh, Honorable Nodada, with all humility, I'm not sure if I heard you correctly. I thought I heard you say something like 13% of bachelors. In fact, the correct figure last year, we had 36.4% admission to bachelor studies by our grade 12 learners. And in fact, the year prior, it was also 364 in 2020. And in 2019, it was 36.9. I'm not saying that 36.4 and 36.9 are something to be celebrated. But all I'm saying, it's, it's not as bad as 13%, if I heard you correctly, Honorable Nadara. But it simply means that we, we are progressing. If you look at where we were in terms of our bachelor attainments uh, 20 years ago, I think 20 years ago, we were around uh, 15%, but we moved to, to above 30%. And I think we're on the right trajectory. And, and all we need to do is to move with greater speed in terms of improving our, our performance. Now, in terms of performance of our learners at higher education institutions, I agree to, with you that there is certainly um, a lack of synergy between basic education and higher education. And in fact, our DG has asked us to make a presentation at a senior management meeting which took place two weeks ago. And the question that the DG asked us to answer was, how do we strengthen and develop a seamless system between basic education and higher education? And we came up with almost 15 implementable suggestions in terms of how we work more closely with higher education in developing the seamless system. And, and that could also be presented at some point so that we work more closely. And I think with this curriculum change that we are currently planning, honorable members, we are making sure that higher education is involved in these curriculum changes. It's senseless us making all these curriculum changes but higher education does not amend its assessment programs, its requirements. And, and we believe that there has to be a complete overall in terms of education, both at the basic and the, um, at, at the higher education level. I agree with you about cramming, and, and therefore we want to move away from an exam focus to more an assessment focus. And, and obviously, Umalusi is very guarded about the NSC. And as much as we've made changes to the assessment uh, from grade R to grade 11, grade 12 has been left untouched. But we've set a task team, and that task team is going to be looking at grade 12. And how do we make amendments to the grade 12 curriculum, if necessary, to the grade 12 assessment without altering the standard? And I think there are ways in which we could still review the curriculum, but maintain the integrity, credibility, and standard of the NSC. 
Um, the three-stream model, I think our, our DG has covered that adequately. But if I could just add that we are currently um, piloting uh, a number of subjects, occupational subjects as well as vocational subjects in grade eight and nine. And the reason for these subjects being implemented in grade eight and nine is that we feel that our learners must be given exposure in grade eight and nine to a few vocational subjects and occupational subjects. And then what will happen is that at the grade nine level, we're going to implement uh, a standardized assessment, which would be part of the GEC. But part of the assessment uh, regime at the end of grade nine, which is going to prepare learners for grade 10 and the three stream model will be what we are calling an inclinations assessment, where every learner will then be assessed in terms of whether his inclination is towards the academic, the vocational or the occupational. So together with the exposure that the learner will get in grade eight, um, sorry, it's grade seven, eight and nine. Sorry, yeah, it's, it's eight and nine in the main. The learner will get exposure to these occupational and vocational subjects. So together with that exposure, together with the inclinations assessment, the learner can then, together with his parent, make a determination whether he should follow the occupational or, or the vocational stream. And I think our DG, our minister, have accepted this, that part of the problem of our system is that we are kind of squeezing all our learners into an academic stream when these learners will flourish if avoided or provided rather with opportunities in the occupational as well as uh, the, the vocational. So we're moving in that direction. Maybe we're not moving as fast as we should, but I just want to tell you that part of the curriculum strengthening process, which we want to implement in 2025, is to develop a vocational and an occupational curriculum for both uh, grades 10, moving into grade 11, and, and grade 12. So, so these developments are on, on the way. And I think you're right, Honorable Nodada, upskilling of our teachers is critical. And therefore, we need to work very closely with higher education so that they develop teachers with the right skill set uh, coming out of university to be able to be absorbed by our schools and used to promote uh, the, the three streams uh, model. Um, I, I know you've spoken a lot to Honorable Nodara about decentralization. I think if you look at it internationally, given the importance of a curriculum, a curriculum has to, in the main, be the setter of national norms and standards. Obviously, we set national norms and standards through the curriculum, but it does not mean that uh, at the level of the district, at the level of the province, there is no room to accommodate a certain provincial priorities and provincial imperatives. I think the curriculum does allow for that, but I think what you're telling us, look at that a little more closely as you review and strengthen the curriculum so that our curriculum becomes more relevant to the environment in which our learners uh, find themselves. Honorable Siwela, um, you raised the issue about depth, and I think I've answered the, uh, the question about depth that we've already started reviewing the curriculum, focusing on core concepts. And even in the review, we are now going to say less is more. So if you have fewer topics, but you drill down deeper with the learners. So when you drill deeper, you can develop 
the application skills, the skills of synthesis and evaluation using limited knowledge, rather than being concerned about covering knowledge coverage over a number of topics and not developing the appropriate skills that are required. Is the lack of depth contributing to poor performance at university? I would say yes. And and I think that we will now make sure that deeper learning becomes the focus rather than curriculum uh, coverage. I think the report also says that we are prescriptive in our approach. And and I think that prescription is is what we need to look at. But I think our, our prescription in the main is simply because as a developing country, you want to make sure that learners take your maths or maths literacy. You want to make sure that life orientation is not an optional subject. And obviously, we want to make sure that our languages uh, are promoted, particularly in terms of home languages and the language of learning and teaching. But obviously, we, we will look at all of these uh, issues more closely and see whether the level of prescription can be reduced. I think what has also been indicated is that we have clear entry requirements, which is not the case with some of the other countries. But let me also say that for our adult learners, we have the senior certificate qualification, which is equivalent to the NSE. And in the case of the senior certificate, the entry requirements are set very low. All the learner has to satisfy is be 21 years of age, and he must have completed grade nine or an equivalence of grade nine. So we're making provision for our adults who may not meet the, the entry requirements, which we want our school learners uh, to satisfy. And, and Honorable Morachella, I think you, you, you're spot on. Maths is a critical subject, and we need to then look at our maths more critically. And I think the fact that we've moved to technical maths already indicates that we're looking at maths that will support the vocational and, and the occupational stream. But now that we have technical maths, maths literacy, and what we refer to as mathematics, I think, Honorable Morachella, you're correct that we need to go and look at the maths and make sure that the technical maths is in fact fit for purpose and that it will certainly support learners that want to follow the vocational as well as the occupational stream. But I think it's still early days. We've just uh, uh, you know, introduced these subjects and we're monitoring them very closely, evaluating, and we'll certainly make the amendments based on what is coming from reports like the one um, Umalusia has already implemented together with what our our schools are, are telling us. Um, I think, does the findings of this reflect the need to review the curriculum? I, I must indicate that um, Umalusi has confidentially made the subject reports available to us already. We, we've shared it confidentially and under embargo conditions with some of our subject specialists. And we asked them to look at the subject specific report, look at the specifics that are being raised in terms of geography and still being outdated and life sciences not having, you know, a mathematical emphasis. Uh, so we've, we're looking at all of these. And, and like I said, it comes at just in the nick of time and it certainly is going to help us uh, moving uh, forward. Uh, Honorable Chairperson, I think you, you raised the issue about past requirements, and I'm sure uh, Umalusi will be able to respond. But can I just say from, from our side as a department, we have looked at international research, but different countries have a different approach to pass-fail. And for example, if you look at uh, the UK system, 
and and this is why some of them refer to it as a program. What they do is they present you with a statement of result, and they just indicate to you that this is the performance level of the learner without indicating whether the learner has passed or failed. For example, if you look at the IB, the International Baccalaureate, they work on a seven-point scale. And what they say is that the learner can even get a a score as low as one on the seven-point scale. But all they want to see is that out of a total of 45, I think the learner must get a total score, if my memory serves me right. I think it's it's around... uh, uh, 30, around the 30. So in other words, they, they look at, sorry, it's 24 points out of 45 points. And, and that's when they say that you satisfied the requirements of, of this particular diploma. And, and we need to possibly look at it a little more closely, whether we want to continue with this notion of a group certificate and, and pass fail. And, and I think all of these issues are issues that we're going to be discussing and obviously obtaining guidance from portfolio committee from Umalusi in terms of moving forward. Um, I, I think the issue of English, is it offered as home language and file? I think we leave that to Umalusi to answer. Um, technical maths, I think I, I commented on that. Uh, yeah, I think the one about uh, Zimbabwe and the perception, let me not go there. And I think our DG has, has covered that uh, 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 adequately. Honorable Chair, I know I've gone a little bit too far. My apologies. Uh, but I think sometimes we do get carried away. And, and I hope that we have addressed all the questions raised, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, DG and Dr. Polia. Uh, Prof. Palim, can you lead Umalusa's responses? Yes, Chair, thank you very much. Um, I, I want to make a few comments. Uh, I see I see that Honorable uh, Nodada is, has his hand up. Uh, you may want to take his f- further question, uh, or do you want me to go ahead? No, go ahead, Prof. Go ahead. Okay, thank you. Um, le- I'm going to make a few high-level comments, uh, and then I'm going to ask uh, um, uh, Dr. Rakumetsi to, to speak perhaps to the more specific issues. Um, the first issue, I guess, is, is, to, is to emphasize the point that we're talking about a, sy- a system, uh, that there's a national senior certificate, but that the national senior certificate is an assessment instrument reflecting a, a particular performance of a system. And we must be careful that we don't put more burden on the National Senior Certificate than it is able to bear. Um, Dr. Polio happened to agree with uh, uh, Honorable Nodada. I, I did want to dis- take issue with him on his comment that the, the NSC is not as bad as we think it is. I want us to be cautious about getting a bit too pessimistic about what we do in, in South Africa. Uh, but uh, to say it more seriously, the issue of the National Senior Certificate as being primarily uh, uh, an instrument for allowing access into education, needs, we need to be cautious of, of that kind of view. It certainly is an important part of what uh, uh, the National Senior Certificate is meant to do, but it is not the entire story. Um, there's, there, there is meaning in the National Senior Certificate that goes beyond what it means, uh, or its utility value for the, for the education sector. Let me first say that 
and I've said this as as vice chancellor of uh, and to my fellow vice chancellors uh, at the time, it is irrational for the university sector to say to Umalusi or to the D- Department of Basic Education, you must give us students who are guaranteed to pass. That is not only irrational, it's also ridiculous. However, what the education system can do is say to Umalusi, we would like to receive students whose matric or NSC certificates have meaning, and we understand the difference between uh, a B and a C, for example. But more importantly, that that meaning is sustained over time. That a B last year will mean similar to what a B means this year. The fact that students fail at high education may well be part of the way in which the the the, the education system works and and the way in which uh, the NSC works. But it is also a part of the way in which the universities themselves work. Uh, Chair, you you may remember that at uh, at Salt Lake University. We took the view that we would not have bridging courses um, and still produced fairly high pass rates and continue. And this university continues to do that without any bridging courses. And our argument was the National Senior Certificate is a competent examination system. Ours is to understand that system as a university and then to set up the pedagogy, the curriculum and the teaching processes at our university to take students from where they arrive at the NSC to where we would like them to be as graduates. And that's a conversation that we must have as a system, not as uh, with a focus on the National Senior Certificate. It's meaning, the, the whole exercise of this research project was to remind ourselves, uh, but also the country, of the meaning of the National Senior Certificate. We've chosen to hold ourselves up in to reflect these particular mirrors. It could be that we choose other mirrors. There may be other things that we want to do reflect in these mirrors, and those comments have been made. But what we really are trying to do is to remind ourselves and to just, as a, as a milestone, say that what we're doing is actually comparable. It's not exactly equal, and it should never be, but it is comparable to what is happening in, um, in other parts of the world. The criticism, the criticism of the performance of the system is correct and that we would share. It is correct that it is a problem that only, I'm, I'm, I stand to be corrected on the figures, but only about 22 or 3, 23% of students who take maths or physics in the national senior certificate system will achieve at least 50%. And that's a criticism. We must take that. But that's not the National Senior Certificate. What we can't do is say, well, the exams are too difficult. We have to ease them up. No, no, we can't do that. What we're going to do is, as Dr. Polia and the DG has, ma- has mentioned, we have to think anew about the way in which we prepare these students. And it is a, it is a concern that the National Senior Certificate represents an assessment of 12 years of schooling, which also means that for many of young people in this country who come from perhaps township schools or rural schools, the decision about whether or not you will get access to a university education is actually made in grade one, not in grade 12. And so these are realities that we must keep in our minds as we think about the system. 
My comment about uh, uh, the the idea that the NSC is not as bad as we think it is, is yes, there are reasons for sometimes to be pessimistic. But if we also align that pessimism with, uh, with, with a nostalgia, with an inactivity, then what, what we do is we, we, we create an, a beast that eats itself. And so we say the system is terrible. We can't do anything about it. So as a result, it becomes worse. This conversation, this study, the conversation we're having with the, um, uh, with the parliamentary portfolio committee and some of the very critical and intelligent questions we've been getting from, from colleagues on the, on the committee says that this is a country. This is a system that is not resting on its laurels. It's asking hard questions of itself. And that gives me comfort here. I want to also say that as university sector, we make the statement, and I think it's justified, that our higher education system in this country is probably the best and most rigorous higher education system on the continent. And I, I don't think that we can debate. We, we, I take comfort from that. But that statement is not possible in a country that has a poor school system, grade 12 system, grade one, grade one to 12 system. It would not be possible for the higher education system in this country to make that statement if we didn't have a fairly competent uh, um, uh, national senior certificate system and doing, uh, making, make, uh, finding the opportunities for improving and continuously reflecting on what we do is actually uh, the positive development. I want to make another comment. Almost everybody commented about mathematics and, and I worry that we, we sometimes think about these things, um, out of context. I've often heard casual observers say, well, a medical doctor does not need to be, uh, to be given a course in geometry because medical doctors almost never measure angles or concern themselves with spatial relations between different points. So Chair, I should qualify this. I am a civil engineer. Um, I My current home base is in civil engineering at Wits University. Uh, I do, however, work in computational mathematics. And I have given much thought to the disciplinary implications of what it means to be a mathematician as opposed to an applied mathematician. My work in computational mathematics is essentially applied mathematics. Uh, which is, which is distinct and different from, uh, from mathematics as a pure science, as a pure science discipline. Let me say that my response to those who say that doctors don't need, uh, geometry is to say, well, geometry is not about angles. Geometry is about teaching young people the competence to understand the difference between inductive and deductive reasoning. That's why you take a course in geometry. And if you aren't able to tell the difference between inductive and deductive reasoning, you aren't able to be a competent medical doctor. Diagnosis is outside of your range of skills. If you aren't able to tell the difference between those forms of reasoning, mathematics uh, is a remind, we need to remind ourselves is a branch of philosophy, not science. And it is interesting that you would have heard in the report that there's an examination system that does not allow a calculator in a metric, in a mathematics exams. That, I guess, is the way we should be teaching mathematics. Mathematics is about logical forms of reasoning. And when we think of mathematics in its instrumentalist form, in its application form, 
we are thinking of applied mathematics, which is where mathematics and techno technological maths um, should find a home. And that's really where it finds a home. And so I think it is important that we tell the difference between these two forms of mathematics, one as developing competence in reasoning, the other as developing the application of mathematical methods to solve real-world problems, which ultimately is what engineers do. I'm an engineer. The diff what separates us from the sciences is one word, design. I have to come up with a product even if I don't know why it works. Uh, which is an offensive concept to the pure sciences. Chair, I've also acknowledged that in the questions that I've heard from Parliamentary Portfolio Committee members, it's clear to me, and this is my first interaction, we must find time for longer conversations and more reason than perhaps with differently colored liquids in our hands, uh, in the form of tea and coffee, I must emphasize. Um, we need to find a time when we can talk to each other on these subjects. I just want to use an example. It bothers me for, uh, that... Prof, you must uh, avoid uh, tea and coffee. DG still owes not that I coffee. <laughs> <laughs> well, we must deliver on that there promise. that he's looking at you like, hey, you know what you're talking about. <laughs> we, mu we must deliver on our promise. Uh, but we certainly have to find time for deepened conversations. Let me use two, uh, two examples. It troubles me that all our students who arrive at university in first year know that the square on the hypotenuse is equal to the sum of the square on the other two sides. That's the Pythagoras theorem. But I have yet to meet a student who can prove that. Equally, it bothers me that our students know the difference between a past tense and a future tense in a sentence, but they can't tell what a future pluperfect is or a past pluperfect. Um, but both my criticisms are not useful. And I want to emphasize that. These are not useful criticisms of the high school system. Because what I, the question I ask myself is, when I expose students to a proof of the Pythagoras theorem, will they be able to understand it? And the answer is yes. I'm happy that uh, the mathematics system is producing competent students. When I explain to them what a past pluperfect is, they understand it. They understand how it fits into a sentence. And so I'm trying to emphasize the point that I guess Dr. Polio was making, which is we need to think differently about competence and the content of the curriculum and the skills that we develop, those are different concepts and we need to think through them carefully. That competence is actually more important because content knowledge will shift with time. There was a time when you could do a degree in uh, quantity surveying. Well, you can't do that anymore because technology displaced it. Uh, and that is an example of how spurious content knowledge can be. Content knowledge will change with time. Competence remains, uh, and that's what we must focus on. I also wanted to talk just briefly and say, make a comment about the place of ICT. There's, there's, there's lots of uh, talk about fourth industrial revolution and some of the other we think that this is the future. And these are important issues, but I do want to locate that in the world of the applied sciences. Uh, Chair, you may be aware that together with Professor Luis Ononga, I was I was one of the people who who started the first BSc in data science at Salt Lake University. It's the first on the African continent. Well, we located that as a science, not as an applied science. It's not uh, data analytics. It's not big data. It is data science. Its foundations are in discrete mathematics. And so, as we think about preparing students for competencies in these worlds of 
robotics, uh, astronomy, uh, data, data analytics, etc. What we also have to think about is what are the, uh, the underpinnings of the mathematical sciences that will better prepare them for that. Because the work, the work that is currently being done in data analytics in 15 years' time will be old hat. Yet our students and our graduates must still be competent. Um, let me, and, and on the point of the, the difference between Zimbabwe and South Africa, you're right. There's, I hear lots of people say the, the, the students who arrive uh, out of high school system in Zimbabwe appear to be better prepared than students who arrive out of the South African system. For me at a university, I find when I get to postgraduate studies, South African students appear to be better prepared for postgraduate studies than I feel uh, some of the, not only Zimbabwean, but some of the Southern African country students are. These are debates that we can have. And I think while we did have a conversation about the appropriateness of the flower metaphor, and Dr. Rakometsi will comment on that. And of course, uh, um, uh, 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 Honorable Nodada has picked up on on the limits of that metaphor. Um, we do want to say that that as we compare across countries, we must be careful that we don't compare at too narrow a level. What we want to look at is how do how do citizens in those countries believe their contributions are being made. Your, your, Chair, your question of the value of NSC to economic growth is an extremely difficult question to answer. The, I remember an economic study on the relationship between education, levels of education and economic activity that concluded better education does contribute to better uh, economic outcomes, but it depends on context. Uh, so the question again is about context. Uh, Chair, let me stop there and hand over to Dr. Rakometsi in case he wants to add any, any final comments. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Prof. Balim. Thank you, um, honourable members, uh, for the questions. I I'm going. I'm not going to answer to all the questions that were raised. I'm only going to focus on areas where I think we might well give a different dimension in terms of our response. The NSC is not only intended for university entrance. Um, it prepares people for the world of work, it prepares people for to be good citizens. That is why the levels of passes at uh, the NSC level are at higher certificate, diploma and bachelors. It is only a bachelor that will allow you into university, but a diploma and a high certificate will not give you easy access into a, a bachelor studies. And even the, the bachelor passes, you have to pass at different levels for you to be admitted uh, at, uh, in, in different faculties. Medicine, uh, engineering, for instance, we all know about uh, faculty-specific uh, uh, point scores. They, you, we've got a term for that. We all know that term when our children have to go to, to university. So it, it is not only for university. Um, now, now the, the question that is asked by Honorable Nodad about the high unemployment rate I wouldn't want to blame it on the NSC per se, but blame it on the skills match that we have as people choose their careers. I, I had a talk at one church where I was invited as a guest speaker, and I was advising students on career guidance. And I said to them, they should check 
the the areas of skill shortages in South Africa as they choose their careers. And the Department of Home Affairs makes that available from time to time to say we'll give special permits and visas to people from outside the country who have skills in these specific areas. So I think it is not um, a matter that has to be blamed on the NSC, but in terms of the choices that people make uh, as they choose their careers. Um, I need to mention this, that <clears throat> Kenya, it was not part of the study, but interacting with the colleagues from Kenya, I know that what they put on the certificates is the level at which a learner has passed his, his or her subjects. But they don't indicate a pass or a fail. They don't. They don't indicate bachelor's diploma or certificate. A university will decide with the kind of symbols that a student has, has obtained whether he has to be admitted at the university or not. The Kenya National Examinations Council does not pronounce pass or fail. It just gives the symbols and they leave it at that. Um, the, the, the reason why um, students don't perform well uh, with the NSC, it is because maybe it, it is not following a three streams model which says how are you gifted as an individual. People are, are gifted differently. That is why I support the idea of three streams model which takes into account uh, in which areas are you gifted. Therefore, you have to be channeled in that, uh, in that, in that field. Um, let me venture into something, and I, I hope it will lend, it will lend uh, uh, as intended. Um, the NSC is the best qualification in the world. The NSC is the best qualification in the world. And I want to repeat for the third time. It is the best qualification in the world for the people of South Africa. In the same way as the, the, the Kenya School Living Certificate, it is the best uh, qualification in the world. The NSC is. The Kenya one is the best for the people of Kenya because of context and because of history and because of the demands of this country. I think I've made the point adequately. The NSC is the best qualification in the world, in the world, for the people of South Africa. Uh, I think it has landed in the manner that I had wanted it to land. Because if we were to take, for instance, the Kenyan qualification and, 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 and transplant it into South Africa, it will fail dismally because it doesn't take context into account. The same with the flower metaphor. That flower from Kenya, if we were to transplant it here, it will fail because of the weather conditions and because of the context. The protea will fail in Zimbabwe in the same, in the same way. Honorable Nodada, yes, context is, is a challenge in South Africa. We, we find in the NSC examinations, instances where students are thrown off uh, in terms of responding to questions uh, because we come from a rural area. He doesn't understand what the question is trying. And we try to mitigate that through moderation of question papers. The urban and the rural. Some, some things are not easily understandable if you operate in the urban context and vice versa. Some things are not easily understood if you operate in the rural context. But we have to give us, get ourselves, get, get comfort in the fact that we're preparing learners here for South African citizenship. Making an example, I studied in the deep rural area of Kwakwa. That, that is where I did my high school. Deep rural. You, from Putatichabe, you still have to drive 
30 kilometers into Kwako. But I studied way back then about the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. I, I, when I studied economics, I studied about ESCOM because I was being prepared not to remain in that environment of Kwako, but to be a South African citizen that I am today. Uh, if we were to, to, to look at uh, uh, where we come from as a, as a people, uh, before 1994, we had each province having its own exams in the, in the white dispensation House of Assembly. We had different um, TBVC, TBVC states having their own exams. Then we had the rest of others being under DET. We did not have a national system. After 1994, we still had the nine provinces running the examinations. We ultimately transitioned and Dr. Polia and I are part of that history. We then transitioned into national examinations where we say everybody writes the same thing. Uh, and I think that is an achievement that we have to applaud. And Dr. Polia is saying it is very important that the, 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 the district-specific things are also brought into the curriculum. The curriculum allows that, uh, that flexibility um, so that we don't lock our students also into... into where I, I come from with my high school. Um, um, the, the other element which has been mentioned, uh, but not to the extent that I, I would have loved, is the why students perform badly at the university. It, it is uh, maybe the teaching style. They are not used to the teaching style that is used at the high school. There are a lot of factors coupled with independence. They are on their own. The parents are not, and the transition is not easy. However, Umarsi did a study uh, which we can share with the honorable members. And that study found that the NSC is a good predictor of success at the university. If you did well in the NSC, the prediction of the NSC is that you'll do well at the university. We have that study at Umarsi that we did with a number of, of universities in the country. Yes, indeed, this uh, report is not going to end up in the shelves. Um, when we did the 2010 study and shared it with the department, the minister uh, did a review of the curriculum, and that's how we had the CAPS curriculum. The input of Umaluzi, the 2010 report, led to the CAPS report. And even in this instance, as Dr. Poli has indicated, we are going to allow the Umaruzi officials and the, the officials of the department and other stakeholders to take a deep dive into, into the subject-specific issues that have been raised in the report and make a recommendation to Umaruzi and the minister on things that could be changed, um, including whether we leave uh, physical science as it is or we separate physical science and, and chemistry in the manner that it is happening in other countries. Um, uh, let me see. The DBE it shows with the with the with the consideration of our 2010 report, uh, with the with the introduction of the caps that it takes the advice that we give to them seriously. Um, the, the, the 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 scope of any research report is is constrained by a number of factors, including the budget. That is why we could not cover certain subjects like technical mathematics. That is why we could not have the opportunity to do certain things that we would have loved to do. Um, however, every research report 
gives an opportunity for further expansion to say we did not touch technical mathematics, we did not touch history. Whoever else wants to expand on this because of other constraints, you could not do it. You can do it. So that this research is creating that opportunity as well. Um, I've spoken about national versus municipal level. Uh, let, let me just come to um, uh, the issue of mathematics. Honorable Murat says, I'm not going to respond to things that have been responded to already. South Africa and the Department of Basic Education has to be commended for, for making mathematics in one form or the other compulsory for our students. If you don't take pure mathematics, you take uh, math lit or technical mathematics and so forth and so on. In my day as a student, I did not do any maths at matric. Uh, that, is, that, is, that was a serious handicap. So our, our department has to be commended for, for doing that, introducing a type of mathematics as compulsory. Um, um, okay. I'm tempted to go to the debates about 30% pass, and I'm trying to restrain myself. I'm not going to go there. We've had that debate previously. Uh, I'm saying our qualification has been tailored to suit our conditions in South Africa. Um, on, on research and uh, statistics and data, my recollection is that even though I did not have maths uh, at metric level, at fourth year level at university, I was taught research methodologies, which included statistics. And I've been able to cope uh, thus far because I was able to be a master's and a PhD. Uh, so that research methodologies are taught by different universities at uh, fourth year level in particular, but to some extent at third year level. So we are, in fact, from first year, when you do your assignments, you're already doing research. But specific research methodologies are dealt with um, at that at that level. Honorable Chairperson Membingo uh, Kigaba, yes, uh, this study uh, saw some similarities from one point to the other and differences. So that when you do comparative education, you come across the common and the diverse. The common meaning the similar similarities and the diverse meaning the differences. I remember in comp comparative education there was a textbook we studied way back then. The title was just The Common and the Diverse. Because when you look at the Kenyan system, you're going to find something that is common with us. You're going to find something that is different from what we're doing. I want to put my head on the block and say the NSC is adding value to our economy. Yes, it is adding value. We are producing doctors. We have done the NSC. We are producing engineers, we have, we have done this. We are producing teachers, nurses, journalists. The economy is running. The question is, what Honorable Nodad has asked, at what level are these kids passing? I wish more could be passing at bachelor level. Uh, but uh, not, not, it's not everybody who passes at that level. And I want to repeat that history as a subject was not part of the study, but the opportunity exists for other researchers to do a comparative study uh, in the manner that they wish. Chairperson, Honorable uh, Chairperson and uh, uh, Professor Balin, I would, I would ask uh, Mr. Leporter to have a final bite. There could be other areas uh, of the questions 
that he may want to amplify. Uh, with our permission, Mr. Leporta. Thank you, um, Dr. Akometi. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, um, Honorable Members of the Portfolio Committee. Dr. Akometi, I think um, all the issues have been responded to, but I do want to um, say um, a thing or two. With respect to um, the lessons that we have learned from the study, I want to indicate that um, a similar study was also done by the Independent Examination Sport, and that study was done by the UK NARC. In its conclusion, the study done by the IEB said the NSC is more than fit for purpose and is comparable internationally. We did a similar study a year or two later, which arrived at the same conclusion. This study, which we are presenting to members of parliament, is actually saying there is nothing unto what. So it's confirming the findings of the previous studies that were done in this in this area. So that is the one thing that I wanted to, to indicate. On the basis of the lessons that we have learned from all these studies, the one thing that we can all agree about is that the National Senior Certificate provides South African learners with an internationally comparable level of education. Whether we can say... Um, what is it that makes it not possible for the outcomes to be the same? It's a, it's a, it's a discussion for another, for another platform, as the chairperson of Umalusi Council um, has, has said. And I do agree with the point made that the NSC serves multiple purposes. And that it serves multiple purposes, it's something that we learn from the National Development Plan. If we read the National Development Plan in conjunction with the white paper on post-school education and training, it says the aim of having a little over 4.5 million people participating in the PSAT system. And of that number, the university sector accounts for only about 1.5 million. So what this does say to us is that the NSC serves multiple purposes, one of which is to channel people into the TVET system so that by the time they conclude their studies in the TVET system, they can participate meaningfully in the building of the economy of the country. So those are my points, um, CO. Thank you, and uh, thank you to the chairperson and members of the portfolio committee. Um, do you have a follow-up on that? Yes, Chair, yes. Quite, quite a, yeah, quite a few points. Thanks, Chair. Uh, and thanks for, for warning the Chair there about uh, coffee and tea because, uh, you know, there's a backlog in, in that instance. Chair, first of all, I want to support your, your request um, that um, in terms of curriculum and the structure and, and how everything is set up in the system in terms of the framework and what is expected to be implemented. As a committee, we actually are you know, presented to that so that it better equips the committee um, in kind of following you know, the, the different developments in the DBE as part of our role as, you know, as an oversight body. So I want to support that if there was your initial request. And if not, I'd, I'd like to propose that, you know, that we get that full presentation on, on how the curriculum is set up and the framework um, and, and the role in which, you know, uh, we need to play in, in our oversight responsibilities, but also what contributions we can make in terms of improvement. 
definitely with all the speakers that have spoken that uh, it's important to preserve the pockets of excellence that we have. Um, I think I fully agree with that. You know, we, we must always preserve the pockets of excellence that we have in the system, in the NSC, what the pockets of excellence that are there, we must always preserve. But our role and responsibility, the reason why we conduct such research is to how to make it better, to make sure that those that can utilize it to access opportunity at a later stage, it has improved to a point whereby they can be able to use it. Now, I want to just go to the DG quickly, Chair, to say that maybe it's, it's, it's time, maybe the department DG considers whether is grade eight and nine not too late um, to actually, uh, you know, emphasize on occupational and vocational uh, streams uh, that are available. Because I made the example about benchmarking with 17 countries where, for example, some of them at grade three, grade four, in our context, a child would be channeled to a certain pathway or stream, if you want to put it that way an occupational stream or vocational stream, a technical stream, an academic stream. Um, and, and they will be channeled that based on their capabilities. Some may argue that not too early, right? But at the same time, there's better much, if you compare the, the, the what, uh, you know, um, the CEO was speaking about now at the end, um, about, yes, you're creating an, a, a citizen for the country, you know, um, but, you know, Yes, we can create you know, those personal development skills and knowledge that people require, but they must be able to utilize that to survive. You know, they must be able to utilize that to participate in the economy and various other things that they need to do. So in education um, and the NSC must be able to give you know, somebody uh, the tool that they can use to get by in life. You know, not just uh, just being an active citizen or a citizen that is, you know, in a, that is respectful and all the values that we might carry, carry, but they can be able to utilize to put food on the table. So. If the question is, is grade eight and nine not too late, maybe, you know, in relation to the three stream curriculum model, which is something that is, is in, in discussion uh, to, to maybe give learners that opportunity. Should we not be doing it at a bit earlier age, you know, to channel them in those streams? And that's a question maybe that, I mean, I would leave with, with the department. But secondly, DJ, you mentioned that technical high schools and technical schools are expensive to, uh, uh, to uh, you know, to, to, to kind of build in all of that. But also, it goes back to my point that there's a requirement for collaboration schools. There's a requirement for us to rethink about how do you finance education? Do we give people vouchers so they can access those schools? Or do we force ourselves to build those schools even though there's a shrinking budget? You know, what financing mechanisms are in place to make sure that this curriculum that we so boast about, CEO, to say that it's the best NSC uh, in the country, when it comes to implementation, it, it's not hindered. I also come from Tolo, you know, where I studied in a rural school, you know. I went to Kirsten College and I got there and I thought elite is elite, you know, um, and I didn't know what the difference is. And it goes back to your point about, uh, about uh, you know, writing an exam and not understanding. So the question is, you know, it, do we force people to go to these uh, maybe what we call bad public schools that maybe not have resources, maybe have, you know, poor quality teaching for whatever reasons they are, you know, won't go into the merits and demerits of it. But do we then not look, have to look at different mechanisms of how do we make sure that this curriculum that we talk about, that we boast so much about, when it is implemented, everybody's able to access it, despite whether you come from Tolo or Kwaka, for, 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 for instance, so that the, the skills that are required of you um, for you to attain in that stream that you've chosen or the knowledge or the personal development skills 
that you are able to acquire them and, and not utilize that. Well, we don't have money to build technical schools. Therefore, you know, this curriculum can't be implemented. What other mechanisms are there? And there are solutions on the table. And I think we need to start looking and interrogating them even further so that we, we, we ensure that there is there's access to, 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 to quality uh, thereof. I want to go to this point that uh, um, the CEO mentioned at the end about uh, the NSC not just simply preparing people for further education. I use further education deliberately, even in my, my, my other discussions that, you know, you'll get, you know, a diploma pass and you'll go get a high certificate pass. And just to answer um, uh, Dr. Polia uh, on where do I get this 13% thing? And it's in relation to what the CEO was speaking about uh, realistically. You've got 36.4 people that are getting a bachelor's pass, but only 13% of that 36.4 will be able to access a university based on the APS points or the entry uh, or the, the, the requirements that are being put there. Yes, from an, from an NSC perspective, you've got a bachelor's pass, but you can't access a university because there are APS points that are required of you and there's a misalignment. That's what I was talking about. Okay, John, you know, there's a misalignment there. And I'm glad you're saying there are 15 points that, you know, now the DG you've come up with to try and how do you best align that? And hopefully we'll get to see that presentation on whether it does speak to that. And, and, and it's in relation to what the chair was raising about the 30% pass. You know, is there, a, is there no, is there a correlation that to say you get a bachelor's pass, there's 36.4% of you, which is not really high at all. Uh, in fact, but only 13% of you will be able to access a university because of the requirements of that of the university, right? Um, and that's what they term as a bachelor's pass to access nursing or medicine, whatever the case may be, whatever you want to go and study. And I'm fortunate because I come from that higher education background myself, uh, chairperson of, of, of Malusa. So I am aware that there is a misalignment and I've raised it before and the DG did give it an reassurance that there are meetings taking place but it would be interesting to see whether there is an alignment there um, so that we don't give people the false hope that net bachelor's passed but you can't access um, further education if you if you deem so you want to you know pursue a, a university qualification and so on so um, beyond that um, a, a CEO then it goes back to the question I just asked the DG now is it not then too late to you know, for, for to redirect people once they've received a diploma pass or a high certificate pass at a metric level when you could have channeled them to a stream um, based on the three-stream curriculum model at an earlier stage, you know, not just at grade eight and nine, so that they are able to utilize whatever their strengths are as an individual uh, learner to be able to access opportunity at a later stage. And these are the things that we need to be able to answer uh, ourselves, you know, um, and whether are we not overpopulating the NSC and knowing that at the end of the tunnel, we're just creating citizens that will sit at home and not, you know, find work or be entrepreneurial or innovative or whatever the case may be. And these are honest conversations that on a day-to-day basis, you know, uh, South Africans have. And, and also in the education sector, we need to be able to answer those questions, even ourselves. Um, so that when we come up with solutions and do research like this and come up with reports like this, we're able to utilize whatever's good out of it uh, to better the situation on the ground. The second last thing, Chair is that I like the fact that, um, you know, Dr. Polio spoke about, at length about professional development that teaches um, teacher-based assessments um, and, and outcomes of learners must be, you know, must be demonstrated. And I think that's the mistake that we make. 
The mistake that we make is that, I mean, I heard the CEO now speaking that we had provincial exams in the past and so on and so on. This thing of the, 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 the examination is the, is the where is the beginning end of it all of how we best assess an individual learner. Uh, and I think it's, it's the mistake that we make um, at the end of the tunnel. There are various different models that can be used to assess whether is this qualification of use, as, um, as the chair was, was speaking earlier, um, and the knowledge that is acquired or the professional development, uh, professional skills acquired or the personal skills acquired by that individual learner, is it usable for whatever uh, reasons, further studying or uh, so going to a certain stream or getting employment and so on. This thing of that the exam is the be and end of it all of how we assess um, is something that needs to really be re- rethought because um, there are various methods that can be used uh, to assess um, uh, learners. And also, when you talk about teacher development or professional development of teachers and qualifications, at this point in time, the system requires the Peter Morkel, Peter Morkel model, model, where a teacher has to know basically almost uh, um, uh, at an FET phase, almost you know, a certain amount, amount of subjects for them to teach, for example, if they're teaching a metric class. And is that the right way of developing the qualifications? Is that the right way of developing uh, teachers? You know, um, uh, and 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 these are things that maybe missed that side of alignment. Your fifteen points that you've spoken about um, with with higher education that that maybe might find expression um, there. So those are some of the points that chair uh, I, I wanted to um, um, to make. And and to say that when we're saying that we must decentralize, it does not necessarily mean that there must not be a national framework. There must be a national framework. There must be guidance in terms of that. But decentralization just speaks to flexibility. Uh, a CEO does not necessarily speak that we must have different, you know, systems. And because we come from different backgrounds, now we're going to get the different eggs of the basket. It just means flexibility, you know. Um, and and. I think these are some of the ideas, and I think if we had to workshop and workshop some of the, you know, the, the, the committee on this, you'll find quite a lot of ideas, even from this end of the oversight uh, table, that can make a contribution to to some of the things that, you know, the experts may be dealing with now in terms of the subjects, uh, specific matters that you spoke about, uh, that, you know, you've confidentially distributed. That's all good, you know, but I think also, you know, we've got a voice that we we can, you know, we can throw in there and um, and see, you know, if, you know, we can't come up with, you know, you know, with with with, with uh, an, a curriculum that is improved. You know, yes, there's pockets of excellence. We you know appreciate that, and that's why I made the point that our education system is not as bad as people. You know, and I, all of us think it is. It's just a matter of when we do implement it on the ground, does it actually become impactful um, and achieve the outcomes that we intended it, it, it to achieve on all you know across the board, including from where I come from Ms. Lali, you know, um, and, you know, they're not having to get an opportunity to go to a certain school for me, uh, you know, to know, you know, uh, how to get by and become a national and global citizen. Um, so those are just the points, Chair, that I would have would have liked to make. Um, and I really do enjoy the discussion and I hope that, uh, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get an opportunity to make uh, uh, comments as the time goes. Okay. Um, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Lord. I can you lower your hand? Um, okay. Anyone from DPE or Umalusi 
or you have taken hey, his uh, views? Yeah, I, I, I have nothing to add. Uh, those were very <laughs> useful comments and thank you very much. Okay. Um, okay, Doc. All right. DB, I, I take it we are fine as well. Um, with the, with the comments that he has, that he has raised. I must say also, um, I think uh, many of us, um, have rather seen, uh, the presentation today as, as a lecture, you know, it was rather a, a lecture and I'm sitting here, I'm asking myself, how do we, introduce um, this cream that we have here in this meeting to our people at the deep rural areas. Um, how do we disseminate this information so that it doesn't only sit with our heads? Because I think it can't be me alone, but a lot of us um, has learned a lot today. Um, at a personal level, I have learned a lot. Um and we keep on learning. But this type of cream that we have, how do we take it down? How can one create colloquiums um, that would uh, introduce um, the CEO of Malusi to someone who's in Colesburg, for instance, you know, um, to understand what this senior certificate is all about, to understand um, the work you do you know, not only to think that uh, you are a CEO of that science um, certificates alone, but the work behind you, the type of the cream that you have, the the the, the you know um, the presenter of the presentation today to take those type of probably it's one of the things that we we can have. You know, colloquiums Wednesdays, education Wednesday. We educate our people, we educate our country on the systems. How are the systems working? Um, you know, it has been made easy now by technology that we can probably we just need to find out how can we do it? How can we get our people, uh, particularly in the, in the in the deep rural areas? I must say I'm very much impressed. Um, it was not only a presentation, but it was also an eye opener um, on, on many issues. I was even saying out of this presentation of today, um, one can extract a lot of debates you can get. There are a lot of things that you can isolate as individuals and debate as each and individual topic. Um, from what we have, we have discussed today, you know, we have dealt with issues of economy. We have dealt, um, I always, I, I always think these issues of foreign nationals coming to our country and be seen as the ones that are giving better mathematics. We need to have that debate. Um, we need to have it there. It's not only me who's saying there is something like that. We've been to schools on the ground doing oversight. We've seen it. You know, um, where are we losing it? The issue of technical mathematics, the issue of mathematics, where are our people? Where where are our learners? Where are we losing them? Um, um, in the base. But be that as it may, uh, everyone that here is a product of NSC, um, and everyone that is here is a product of South African education system. So we 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 are people that have been made by this, and proudly so, you know, proudly so. We are people that have been made by this education, and this is. 
this is who we are, this is what we are, because of the same um of the same um um system. So let me thank everybody. Let me thank you, DG, and your team from DBE. Let me thank um Chaperson, uh, our professor, <laughs> Prof. Balim. Let me thank you, CEO, um, for being part of the meeting. Let me thank you for giving us this, the information you have given us from all. From you are see, we are we are dealing with educated people today. We 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 are really in the education sector. We we have dealt with the with the with the with experts and the people who understand. Um, um, uh, what they are doing. We are wishing you well. Um, I must say, Umalusi is on the right track. Um, the combination of the chair and the CEO. I don't know whether it's because of I know Prof uh, at a personal level, but I think with the with our veteran CEO, they are move, man. We are moving. Thank you very much for this appointment, Team DPE. Um, and all the best till we meet again. Kelly Bohame. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honorable Members, as well. I'm not sure if Noltando is now okay. She is back. Can we have the the minutes? I'm not uh, back as yet, Chair. I'm oh, going through my phone, okay. but I've asked I've asked Mrs. Porsche to share the minutes on my behalf. Okay, Mrs. Porsche, are you able to assist? Let me try, Chair. Okay. Is it is it visible? Mm-hmm. Okay, now you are bringing another format. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, I was looking and I'm saying, yo, uh-uh. Okay. Um, members, this is the... Meeting that we had on the 6th of September in Zoom platform. Um, we have, we had a briefing from the department on their draft, um, rural education policy. And then we considered and adopted the fourth quarterly report and we considered and adopted the minutes of the 14th and the 28th of June and the 30th of uh, August. Page one is attendance. And page two. 
and page three. We have uh, here opened the meeting and welcomed everybody. And um, we, the meeting was adopted, was moved and adopted by Honorable Litsie and um, seconded by Honorable Advance. And then we had a presentation from the department on the rural education policy, which was done by Dr. Langa. And then we had a, a presentation of the rationalization, which was done by Mr. Ndlebe. And those were the discussions um, from the members. Then the responses were led by the DG. And Ms. Gayle. Ms. Denleve. And then um, we considered the the minutes of the 14th of June, the 28th of June, and the 30th of August. And we've also considered and adopted the fourth quarterly report. And then on committee resolutions, we have the resolutions there. We can move to the next page. And then we concluded by thanking everybody, um, the department, um, for their participation. And then um, the meeting agenda at 12.25, um any corrections uh honorable fancy thank you chairperson good afternoon just an inclusion of my attendance it wasn't recorded under the attendance thank you i was at that meeting okay. last week oh okay yes on page one can we just amend by putting a honorable fund sale there as part of the members that attended the meeting. Other than that, any corrections? If there are no corrections, can we adopt the minutes? Chairperson. Principal. My unconspicuous hand is up. I move that we adopt this minutes as a true reflection of what happened that day. Thank you. Siabonga principal, any seconder? 
Thank you very much, Honorable Tia Siabonga. Um, on that note, then, um, can I thank the members for participation in the meeting and just remind everybody that we've got a um, plenary at two today um and then we are going to meet um next week tuesday same time um the meeting is adjourned thank you very much uh, and thank you nodada and everybody on the platform Record.